Hey, Evan. What's going on? Not much, man. What's going on with you? Uh, not not a whole lot. Just, uh, you know, just hanging out. feel like we just did this a few days ago. That's because we, we did. We did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're trying to get back on a more regular recording schedule, which I think is good. Yes. Yeah, I, I did have, uh, I did have uh, some people reach out um, uh, saying that they, they like the silly episodes. Good. And would like, uh, you know. Uh, more episodes, including silly ones, and also you know some of the deeper dives as well. So, um, yeah, cool. I think I think we'll we'll try to try to get back on that weekly sketch. Yeah, I think that that's a good way to do it too. You know, like if we're gonna if we're gonna try to take more time on the the deeply researched ones, then yeah, but not have fewer episodes. Mm-hmm. Then we'll just do we'll just do more bullshit ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, some silly ones. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you know, bullshit's maybe not the right word. Yeah. They're always important. They're always we we try really hard. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of, couple of try hard fellas over here. Yes. Um. So yeah. So, and that episode's doing pretty well. Yep. Which is cool. We're we're in, uh, closeted and very secret clandestine uh, discussions with a, uh, a secret crypto expert trying to negotiate further crypto episode with someone who knows a lot about it because that's really interesting to both of us but it's difficult because a crypto crypto expert you would yeah say? yeah a crypto <laughs> crypto expert but it's tough because people that are on the inside with that shit are either like dumb idiot like crypto bros like just out in the wild you know what i mean and yeah. that's not necessarily who i want to have on or yeah i don't like, i don't want to like have somebody on just to make fun of them i would feel bad i would yeah. rather make fun of them behind their back right like like a like a civilized individual yeah yeah um someone who the problem with those folks is that they tend to all be seduced over to the dark side and be yeah. <laughs> in the employ of really hideously terrifying companies so mm-hmm. um it's it remains to be seen if we'll be able to convince this secret individual to come on the show but i'm at least going to try to get some more info so at the very least we can talk a little bit more about it at a later date um for sure because we don't want anybody getting sued or fired mm-hmm. um but yeah that i thought that was such a fun episode i thought you did such a good job on that thank you thank you yeah i did have fun with that yeah Although, actually, wait, hold on. Yeah, sorry. I did forget to say one thing. I was really mad afterwards. Like, in my stream of consciousness as I wrote the episode, I did forget a one big thing, which is, like, one of the funniest details of all, so I'm really mad that I forgot. Okay. Um, it is that uh, Sam, Sam Bankman Fraud, SBF, uh, he, uh, he, wrote, he gave himself a $1 billion loan at one point from customer funds from FTX. Just like gave himself like Dude. a billion <laughs> people's money. That's so like, funny. Yeah, it's just like yeah, nobody you know knows where the fuck that money went. So. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> Considering he's not worth so. any money now, so it's just like yeah, I wouldn't uh, expect to get that loan repaid if mm-hmm. I were uh, if I were the new FTX CEO. Which, by the way, another one is that the new CEO is uh the guy who uh, led the restructuring of Enron after the collapse of Enron nice. and this guy fucking says uh that the um that the way that FTX was run is uh unprecedented in the history of any company he's looked at so when you've got the guy who had to restructure Enron saying that your fraudulent business practices are uh, unprecedented <laughs> <laughs> This is this is fucked on a scale I've yet to experience, <laughs> fellas. This is some of the most fucked up shit I'll tell you. 
Yeah, man. Well, good good luck. <laughs> I yep. hope I hope it goes well. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's crazy. We should do an Enron episode someday. Yeah, that would be actually that's a good idea. Maybe you know what? Maybe that would be a good middle ground. Maybe we could coax out secret crypto crypto man to do an unrelated episode and then just kind of pick his brain off the air about crypto yeah you know what i mean because i bet i bet he i bet he knows a fuck ton about enron yeah um food for thought anyhow uh so we've got kind of what could be a long one today um and certainly long overdue uh we're about uh 10 months and actually exactly 10 months yesterday and uh, 21 episodes. So the 7th? Yeah. Because we're recording Feb- this on the 8th. Feb- yeah, yeah. February 7th. Uh, we released part one of this. Um, and so oh, now, uh, 21 episodes later, uh, we will be released. Or 20, this will be the 22nd episode since then. Um, we will be releasing part two. Okay. And we're back. Minor tef- yep. technical technical difficulties. <laughs> Hopefully yep. that doesn't show up too noticeably, but uh, we're you're good. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. We're, yep, good. we're good. All right. Um, Evan does this thing where he 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 uh, he likes to clean his foreskin during the recordings, and sometimes, yep. very occasionally, uh, he'll get what we, we like to call a blowout, and uh, <laughs> we have to yeah. we do have to push push pause for those because yeah, you know, whatever. I mean, it, we don't have to get into it. I don't want to overshare, but. Yeah, no, yeah, my 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 uh, prepus will become well, really filled with fluid, and <laughs> during the cleaning process, it becomes a post. It becomes red and inflamed, and at a certain stage, once it hits a, a purplish hue, yeah, uh, it it becomes like a a, a situation that's necessary to uh to um Abort. rectify immediately. We call it we call it code violet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so just did... kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm cirked up. Bill, <laughs> yeah. So. No, yeah, same. Yeah, um, I, yeah, yeah. Couple of couple of cirked boys, yep. um, cirked de soleil. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's our collective group. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, anyway, yeah, I think we, we are we are a pro circumcision lobby. We call ourselves cirked du soleil. Yeah, <laughs> cirked dudes. So- yeah, cirked, cirked dudes, dudes soleil. Yeah, yeah. Or cirked yeah, dudes the cir- Olay. Yeah, the pro circumcision <laughs> political action committee. Yeah, yeah, the Olay is just sort of like an Olay. Yeah, <laughs> cirked cirque dudes Olay. Cirked dudes. <laughs> Soleil path. <laughs> That's us. Yeah, um, the, we'll, the we'll, circumcision lobby is we'll, quite. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we actually believe that there's not enough of it. There should yeah. be more of it. Yeah, let um, me tell you, I've got the uh, I've got the city council of New Bedford under my under my circumcised thumb. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize. When did you have your thumb circumcised? Oh, I, all my digits and appendages are <laughs> circumcised. Everything that could be has been. Oh, man. <laughs> There's there's right. very few doctors in the United States that will attempt a, uh, the full a, and fla- a phalangeal circumcision. I just have to get my scalp done next, and then I'll be... Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> the last, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, I will be, uh, I'll finally be cleansed and uh, prepared for God at that point. Mm-hmm. Sick. <laughs> Alright, um, so we were basically saying that we've got what potentially could be a longer episode coming up, but yep. uh, there is one kind of really wonky geopolitical development that's occurred in the last couple of days that Evan yeah. kind of brought to mine and our friend group's uh, yeah. uh, attention, and um, it seems pretty batty, and uh, so we definitely wanted to like touch on that before we dive in too deeply. Yeah, yeah, um, so, yeah so I mean, the big part... 
And really, my I, I just really love the the guy, the the, the big guy involved yeah. in this. So this yeah. is we're talking about this like strange um, attempted right wing coup in Germany mm-hmm. that's led by seventy one year old Heinrich the Thirteenth of the House like Rus or Royce or whatever, spelled R E U S S, which is like a minor Thuringian uh, house mm-hmm. in Germany, and this particular guy is a uh, well, he's a real estate developer. <laughs> I'm looking at him. And uh, he looks kind of like the German Henry Winkler or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. the picture of him, he looks like a like a tenured English professor. Right. And he he's got, uh, like, the, the main picture of him that people have been looking at. And he's got this, like, really goofy fucking tie on, too. Like, this is, uh, this is not the tie of a serious uh, military junta plot. Like, the, this guy gets zero Pinochets for his look. Like, he definitely looks like he has numerous uh, blazers with elbow patches. He looks like a man who has elbow patched blazers. For sure he does. Yeah. And uh, apparently, and uh, so <laughs> I did see today that Henry the Fourteenth, or sorry, Heinrich the Fourteenth of uh, of his house, uh, who is the, the head of this, you know, dispossessed noble the house. The house of Reuss. Yeah, Reuss, uh, who has denounced his... Um, distant relative Heinrich the 13th who isn't even the head of this noble house this minor noble house mm-hmm. so he's uh, low on the peerage that doesn't really exist anymore in Germany and uh, he tried to lead some kind of right-wing coup I believe with maybe some um uh, some police and military plotters involved there were like 25 people in total maybe some more um but anyway this rules and uh, I love it mm. yeah yeah it's pretty neat um it's cool that they got foiled but also, like seeing these, seeing these like scions, or not even scions, just these members of like old European houses. Yeah, he is not a scion, dude. He no, is no. he is a very old, old looking man. Yeah, he sucks. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, obviously, good that this like far right, you know, attempt to bring about what like the Fourth Reich or whatever they they were calling. Yeah, it. Th- they said that they wanted to recreate the Second Reich. Oh, the Second Reich. So the Kaisers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so they're, they're not. Trying to sp- they were trying to like speed run like yeah. uh uh <laughs> sort of yeah the the German Empire and the Weimar Republic yeah you know because I believe they did have some uh you know members of the military in there um you know much much like the Weimar Republic did when they crushed uh the uh the re- the more left wing rebellions in the country mm-hmm. uh, after the revolutions but yeah always good to have the the military on your side yeah the brown shirts you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, also another random little tidbit uh, that I thought of that I don't know how much this bears discussing, but they did release uh, Brittany Griner from that labor oh, camp. Oh, for, for the guy who was the inspiration for the 2005 Nicolas Cage film, Lord of War. Yeah, the, the Ukrainian... Um... Uh, Russian. Oh. oh. Is he Ukrainian? In the I movie, thought... he's Ukrainian. Yeah, he's Russian in real life. Gotcha. Or actually, no, he's a Tajik, I think. Is he was he born in the Tajik SSR. Um, Victor Bout. Okay. Uh, so, you know, if, uh, Danny Hollywood producers out there, I've got a good sequel to pitch them. That would be hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Like a, a tie in the WNBA and yeah, that's, that's actually, that would be, a, that'd be a great flick. <laughs> There's a lot of potential there for something kind of weird. If you give that to the right director and the right writer. Yeah. Yeah. And Nicolas Cage would do it for sure. Uh, he yeah. He'd play role. both roles. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Nicolas Cage as Brittany as Griner? Brittany Griner. Yeah. That would be something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Brittany Griner's out and uh, attempted coup in Germany by and, uh, 
the man uh, known as the Merchant of Death is out. But yeah. you know, um, you know, you can kind of think of Brittany Griner as the Assistant of Death with mm-hmm. all those uh, gnarly assists yep. she's got on the court. You know, she's dealing death. Uh, you know, yeah, getting, getting those rebounds and those assists, triple doubles or whatever. Is, yeah, does she have a lot of those? I, I have no fucking idea. Yeah, I don't know. I either. just remember her from when she played for I think Baylor or something like that. In, yeah. Uh, in college. Yeah. She was pretty dominant. She's big. She's tall. Yeah. She's tall for a lady. <laughs> she's taller than you. Well, yeah. She's what, 6'5", six, 6'6"? Six, six? I think she uh, might be taller than that. Dude, the picture of her being released from prison is hysterical. Yeah, just a bunch of tiny little beta Russians. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the, the best part, too, is like she had... So I have a friend who's Russian. Um, and I was talking to him about it. He said, hysterically, in Russia, the amount of hash that she had on her is like punishable only by up to two weeks. That's insane. <laughs> Which is like p- probably less than a, that. That definitely is less than a lot of jurisdictions in the United States. Yeah, <laughs> for that same amount of hash. Um, yeah, it was the whole thing was they were just making a point. Yeah. Oh, of course they were. Yeah, they they got their guy out. Yeah. Like it. Oh, she's six foot nine, dude. Yeah, six nine. I just looked it up. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, dude, they got. Th- I mean. Got it. I'm gonna have to, have to hand it to Putin there. He just fleeced fucking Biden. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because like here's the <laughs> they thing, got like, they got their their fucking uh their like, like number one dealer. arms dealer out for like a WNBA player who yeah, got arrested for hash. But hey, the WNBA got a lot of good press from this. She's gonna yeah. come home and write a book and make fucking a ton of money. How much do? Uh, she's probably gonna rip a fucking fat bowl the second she gets to the United States. Oh, dude, I don't know. I well, so I guess it depends. I, I would be interested to hear. My assumption is that she was probably treated pretty well, but Oh yeah. I don't know. I mean, in in high profile cases like this, I think generally that's the MO. Um, and I think everybody's yeah. like, "Oh my god, was she tortured?" or like, "Probably not." But I would be interested to hear like Yeah, I mean, she looked pretty like healthy uh in the yeah. pictures today if anything before out. she gets high if i were her i'd probably just be down to get some like good ass food like yeah i can't imagine because even when people are eating good in russia i mean that shit seems fucking pretty pretty bad so like, borscht <laughs> yeah dude i mean borscht is good but <laughs> um you know i'm sure there's good shit there but like yeah no, she's gonna want to come home and place. fucking like devour i don't know maybe she's a vegan but i was gonna say a cheeseburger that's the what i would want if i was home or like a slice of like pizza yeah, I would probably I would probably go like maybe some like buffalo chicken calzone or something. You would you yeah. would do something fringe. Everybody'd be like, "Oh my god, we're finally back home!" Like, let's not the stop. Burger let's guy. stop at McDonald's, and it'd be like, "Would it be okay if we uh, made a second stop?" I'm just really. Pop- been, I would no. I would go to Popeyes. I've been really I've crazy? been really jonesing for a calzone. <laughs> yeah. That would be. Yeah, 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 I'm not a big. Burger you know, I'm just guy. not a big burger guy. Uh, anyway, we could go over to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To oh, uh, yeah. like a pizza shop, I could get myself a hoagie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, d- oh, that would be good. Like a good, like Italian. Like an Italian sub would be good. Yeah, that would be yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. I've been obsessed. I've been obsessed. This is my last stupid little thing, but I've been obsessed. I got to give a shout out to like a big corporate company right now. Uh, uh, fucking, what is it? What's the goddamn sub place I like? Not Jimmy John's. Jersey Mike's. Yeah, Jersey Mike's. I got to give yeah. out to fucking Jersey Mike's, who I've always known are good, but we have one near me now. And I must Chipotle. have had the same fucking Steak sub from them. Literally like six times in the past two weeks, I've gotten the mini, which is yeah. big. It's a big fucking sandwich. I get the mini, yeah. and I do, I mean, what I call a turkey Italian, which is like mm-hmm. my go-to sub order. All the fixings of an Italian, but with just turkey instead of the cold cuts. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like a real Italian too, but like day-to-day, I'm more of a turkey sandwich guy. So, yeah, turkey, uh, hots, and the lettuce, tomato, oil, yeah, vinegar, yeah. 
uh, provolone cheese. Because uh, it's turkey, I also throw mayo on there. But I am opposed to mayo on an Italian. I think we had this conversation. Some people, we have we have had it on the on, on the, the podcast uh, offline. Yeah, yeah. Um, some people, some people agree with that. I'm fine with it, honestly. But I don't do it. But on a turkey Italian, I do it anyway. That on their Parmesan rosemary bread. Yeah. Which is fire. You know what's funny? This is very similar to the sandwich I get at Jersey Mike's. That makes sense. I'll, I'll either get the Chipotle uh, chi- uh, the po- the Chipotle cheesesteak, mm-hmm. which is really good. If I'm hot but cold, I'll get the turkey. Although I'll do turkey bacon. But I won't do mayo. I'll do like the like the red pepper relish with like yeah. m- uh, mustard. And oh, I, I also do, add hot mustard too because it's yeah. turkey. I do mustard and mayo and yeah, oil. I, and I'll do the mayo. But yeah, I do it very similar to like the Italian. I do add the bacon though, but no mayo. Bacon might make an appearance on my next one. That sounds pretty tight. Yeah, it's really good. It's yeah, really good because really they good. have good turkey. All right, we anyway, gotta go. I, I do. I like that we're just like we're like, dude. If we went to prison, what's the first thing we would eat when we get out? Yeah, <laughs> brother. I don't know. That turkey sandwich might be up there though, because that shit's fucking fire. And like, yeah, I'm not one to stand by. Like, I would rather go to my local little like mom and pop place most of the time. But I've been just fucking. Mm. Balls deep in Jersey Mike's lately. I am so fucking excited yeah. about this. Same, I've had the same fucking thing when I get a Diet Pepsi with it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's tight. All right. We got to go because this is yeah. going to be – we're like 18 minutes in. So let's uh, – theme music. Here. Now. Go. music uh we gotta do an episode and we're gonna talk about julius caesar today aren't you excited yeah yep this is part two of the 10 month old part one part one um but don't worry everybody because i've got part Part one is fucking like teething right now dude yeah part Part one is like asking me questions about its brother like daddy where anyway um So, yeah, but don't worry, because I am going to do part two next week. We're going to go back to back. I've got it, like, half in the barrel. um, And I was trying to kind of figure out where to snip it, because I kind of had it just one big document, and I cut it, and now it's still pretty long. But we're going to try to not have this take nine hours. Um, So, yeah. So, this is a sequel to episode 50 of this show, um, which I believe is called Julius Caesar Takes a Holiday. Um, Goes on holiday. Goes on holiday. Um, we're not going to do a full recap of that. Go back and listen to it. Stream it. Um, it's still up and it's pretty all right, but definitely was not, I don't know, just didn't do a second episode and here I am with it. And this one I've put a lot more time and a lot more research into. So there are certain things that we kind of touched on in that episode that I'm going to go much deeper into this time. Um, might be a small degree of rehash or, or, or repetition of some things that I felt were necessary to get this new kind of continuity I'm working towards right. 
um, but also like a lot of new fun information. So without further ado, let's uh, let's get started. And then as always with the Realm episodes, full disclosure, Evan and I both love this shit, and so mm-hmm. you know we might go off the rails a little bit, and yeah, that's good and fine. That's fine and it's good. Yep. Um, so yeah, so it's it's been a while since we've. We've hopped in the old left on red time machine and taken a trip back to ancient Rome. Um, we do kind of touch on some ancient Rome stuff in, in Evan's ancient mysteries series, but that's not like a sure specifically do. Roman series. Um, sure. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that we've talked about is more like what the Romans sort of derived from the Greeks than like their own kind of stuff. But, you know, not not entirely. Um, the but, syncretic nature of yes. the... Uh, Ancient mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did a, a period of time last February, January into February, where we did a, a block of Rome episodes, and one of mine was about Julius Caesar and the sort of early parts of his life and who he was, and then the sort of preceding events that led up to uh, the, the the Gallic Wars, uh, his conquest of Gaul, which is sort of his crowning achievement before he returns to Rome and seizes power and becomes the most recognizable Roman, I would say, to at least most American audiences. Um, that's the name that I would say he's probably of. ever. Yeah, probably yeah. ever. People know that name. Uh, Shakespeare wrote a, wrote a play called Julius Caesar. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's ubiquitous. There's a pizza place called Little Caesars, uh, hot and ready. Mm. And uh, yeah. I hope you guys are hot and ready to learn about, more yeah. about the Gallic Wars. Yeah, speaking of hot and ready, yeah, I, I'm jonesing to learn some more about this. <laughs> uh, you, Caius Julius Kaiser fellow. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I got really down in the weeds. We talked a lot about his family and naming conventions and all kinds of stuff. And we're, so we're just going to skip all that today. And we're going to kind of call everybody by their colloquialisms. He's Julius Caesar here. Uh, Nias Pompeius Magnus is Pompey and... And, and Marcus Licinius Crassus is Crassus, and we're just we're, we're Marcus Antonius is Mark Antony. He's not in this one yet. I didn't. I don't talk about him in this. But he's no Mark Antony. Well, there will be. Yeah, there's going to be Mark Antony. There's going to be more shit in the next episode. Um, Probably my favorite portrayal in um, HBO's Rome. Yes, he was so good. Yeah, like so, he was like perfect. James Fearfoy, Mark Antony, right? Yeah, James Fearfoy. That's his yeah, name. Yeah, he he fucking nailed it. Yeah. Um. All right. So. Just keep in mind that while I may not always deliver in a timely fashion, I do when fucking ruthlessly you deliver prodded, in a fashion. I do deliver, and <laughs> especially when I'm prodded by my my Evan, uh, who, who honestly like I need to have I need I need him. Like uh, you know, this show if it was just me, this would be oof, woof. So <laughs> so thank you for making me do this because I am so st- I'm actually I've been having so much fun. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it was me saying that I'll just do. I'll yeah, no, that was episode. it. I was like, Get the "Fuck you, will." Like, <laughs> I, was, I was like, "You know what? Honestly, if you're not going to do it, like, I'll 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 take it." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no." So, <laughs> so here we are. That's that's our dynamic. It's super healthy. Um, I was actually kind of pissed about that too because I was like, I had hyped myself up to doing it too. I was like, yeah. Yeah, "Hell yeah, I'm going to well, do the show." That yeah, I mean, I think that's that sort of comes with the territory of. Uh, of me returning to the fold <laughs> of of you know giving a shit so you know you probably had a, a lot of thoughts but here we are you know and you must you must await your ascension as supreme overlord of the show <laughs> um yeah. you're like uh who's the was it henry the henry the fifth 
Uh, who's like the cripples, like waiting for his brother to die. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know my English history all that well. Yeah, that's okay. Unless it's about um, giants and Trojans, right? That I know quite well. <laughs> the real history of Britain, right? Not the, <laughs> not the fake bullshit the, uh, after the Norman invasion. The National Enquirer history of Britain. Yeah, where Bat Boy was the first. Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this week we're returning to the first century BCE. Uh, Caesar and his legions are marching into transalpine Gaul to begin nearly a decade of constant warfare, conquest, plunder, rape, all the good shit, um, and ultimately subjugation, which is going to kind of forever alter uh, the face of European uh, politics and culture. This is like one of the defining events in not only Roman history, but I think European history. It, it sets the foundation for a lot of things which will kind of play out during the medieval period, later... Um, a lot of like really important cultural and geopolitical boundaries are set up during this time that that are still prevalent today. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I digress. So suffice it to say, Caesar's star is on the rise. He shot up the cursus honorum, which is that sort of ladder of uh, of political offices that you know patrician men in Rome hoped to obtain. Um, and he did all of those offices in his year, meaning the earliest year that he was eligible, which is a big yep. deal. Um, he also distinguished himself militarily with campaigns in Hispania, and he has by now become the junior member of the first triumvirate with Pompey and Crassus. So Pompey being this super well-decorated military general, um, the, the maybe the most famous Roman at this point, um, Crassus being arguably, like, he's up there on the list of richest people ever to have lived. Um, also with Mansa Musa. I forget what episode that is, but go back and listen to that one. I think that one's 14. Yeah. God, you are like <laughs> you're a little weirdo. <laughs> um, so, but at this point, even though by now everybody knows Julius Caesar, and you might not know those other two guys, at this point he is far and away like the least accomplished of the three. Um, so now is the time for him to kind of earn the status of most famous Roman. Uh, and he's about to do it in spectacularly late Republican fashion, i.e., lots of fucking killing and like dirty yeah. dealing he's gonna he's gonna do some backstabbing and some maneuvering and he's dirty going, deeds done actually quite expensively quite expensively but he's, <laughs> gonna, he's gonna he's up here he's trying to recoup those costs and he's gonna yeah. do that tenfold he's gonna come out he goes in basically broke as a joke owing lots of people lots of money <coughs> and he's about to come out of this uh very rich so buckle mm-hmm. up uh, because first things first, and I realize I didn't really do this last time, I spent so much time talking about Caesar and about the Romans because we were kind of doing this Roman series where we were talking a lot about Rome. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the primary source that we use to to create this series of episodes because I think that's like as important a character as anything else. And then also a little bit about the Gauls because we didn't really talk about them at all. Uh, I did kind of like a little tale of the tape thing in episode 50, but I want to talk more about Gallic culture, Celtic culture, and even that's going to be a brief overview, but I think sure. it's important. Um, so we've talked a lot about Rome in general on the podcast. Uh, as I said, Evan and I both love Rome. I think mm-hmm. if you talk to most... Uh, Roma booze. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> big, big Roma booze. Yeah. Um, but I think if you talk to a lot of people that study history, especially people that study Western history, um, it would probably rank high on most people's lists of favorite like meta subjects. Um, and I think that's largely because there's just so much there to talk about, right? Um, Roman history is sort of the first era in history where you have this volume 
of written material left behind to examine. Um, the Greeks obviously did a lot of writing, the Egyptians, um, the Sumerians, but they wrote differently and they wrote for different reasons. The Romans wrote about fucking everything. They yeah. chronicled um, uh, not only, you know, like so the Sumerians wrote a lot about um, e- 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 economics. They would keep tallies of how much they bought and sold. They wrote a little bit about military conquest, a little bit about religion, but that was sort of it. You know, the Greeks did a lot about religion and philosophy, um, poetry, Ooh. but a lot and of that pederasty. hasn't survived. Pederasty, but not all that has survived. A lot of that's a lot older, right? And the Romans did all of that. They wrote poetry. They wrote plays. Uh, they wrote about religion, philosophy. They wrote autobiographies. They wrote tons of letters to each other. And then yeah. also they were really prolific translators and preservers of those other classics. So they were obsessed with Greece. So they, they are the reason that we have access to a lot of that ancient Greek stuff, but also the Egyptians, a lot of the old Mesopotamian stuff. Um, and so we have this huge body of work that we have access to, which is just super cool. And it's um, also, you know, very like a uh, time period uh, specific too. Like, yeah. I mean, like, especially like right around this period of Roman history, there's just so, I mean, there's entire books where it's just letters that Cicero wrote like to other people Uh, but then it's funny in like 200 years there's so little about some of that like really tumultuous period that like it was just discovered that there's a an unaccounted for roman emperor that we don't know about named sponsian yeah that that was always thought to or at least for like a few decades had been thought to be kind of like a hoax yeah until like they just like analyzed the coins that existed about him they're like oh shit these are like real these are real these are like 2000 years old bad fucking name but yeah Oh, yeah, probably immediately the worst Roman yeah. emperor name. Can you Sponsian. imagine being Emperor Sponsian? Sponsianus. Emperor Sponsian the first. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, we, we, we just, we know so much. And there's obviously so much that we don't know. Like Evan's saying, yeah. there's still archaeological finds, things that we're finding. But the fact is, even that, there is still so much to find and to mm-hmm. discover. So it's just like a really rich wellspring. Um, not only that, but they wrote in Latin, um, which is to a certain extent the, the mother tongue of a huge portion of the modern European languages. Um, and no. even the case uh, with those languages from different Indo-European branches, like English being Germanic, um, it still had a massive influence via, in our case, Norman French. Um, and I mean, we use a lot of Latin terminology to this day. We also use their alphabet. It's heavily modified, yeah. but we use their alphabet. So it's not like when we're studying these ancient Latin sources, historians have the added benefit of it just being that much more familiar to them. It's not like mm-hmm. you have to decipher, you know, cuneiform or, or or hieroglyphs or something like that, or even, you know, ancient Greek, which is still, you know, pretty different. Um, yeah. It's just that much more familiar. Plus also, you know, Latin was kept alive by the Catholic Church as an ecclesiastical yeah. language. It's not an extinct language. It's a dead language, but it's not an extinct language. And so people still speak yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's the language of science. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like the uh, liturgical language of, um, you know, the Catholic Church. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it still exists in, uh, it's, it's used in, um, uh, like, healthcare, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah, it's it's, all of these features have combined to make it, just the, the the best in terms of ancient cultures that we can study and feel the most connected to. Mm-hmm. Um, the one major caveat that I want to bring up before I talk about the specific book that we're going to be kind of using is something that we really have to keep in mind when we're talking about anything authored by the Romans, really authored by any ancient culture group, but the Romans in particular, because the Romans really sniffed their own farts. They... Yeah. got off big time on being Roman and being superior and being better than fucking everyone else. 
Yeah. Um, and so whenever you're reading Roman sources, even, you know, comparatively progressive Roman sources, Roman sources who might have been critical of someone like, say, Julius Caesar, they're never going to outright come out and just be like, yo, we were wrong to do this. Like, Rome yeah. shouldn't have triumphed over Gaul. Like, so you always like, have perhaps to... we could have done it differently, but it did right. need get, getting done. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, we had to prove that we could do it. Yeah. Um, the old cliche being that history is written by the victors and we have to really keep in mind that like, let's be honest, like in the late Republican period, Rome's basically always the victor. Um, well, history is written by historians, not necessarily the victors. Yeah, I mean, but the history, the major historians of the Imperial era were not the victors. They were the people who had actually lost, you know, the senatorial class. Sure. But what I'm saying is what I'm saying is, <laughs> I mean, the history that gets preserved... Not to piss all over your shit right here. No, but, like, the the history that gets preserved and that gets funded and that gets, you know, doesn't get suppressed or burned or, you know, gathered up and fucking, you know, torn to pieces or dumped in the river is the stuff that favors the the ruling class, just generally speaking. I would would say that that's true. I mean, there are definitely subversive historians, but... And now more than ever, that is something that's feasible, but... You mean to tell me you don't think that, like, in the past, like, if Augustus didn't like something that was being written about him, he couldn't just, like, make sure that very little of it or none of well, it survived? Well, I mean, for instance, I will be doing a, a brief series on Justinian based on the secret history of Procopius, you know? That's um history that was written during Justinian's reign that's very anti-Justinian. Sure, and that exists, but it's, right after way it. less, it's way less common. You have to acknowledge that's way less common. I'm just saying, I think it's a... I think the whole history is written by the victors is kind of like one of those platitudes that isn't exactly really true all the time. It's you not know, history true is written by History is written by historians. History is written by the people who are writing history, and they have their own biases. Some of them are pro-victor, but a lot of them are anti-victor. I mean, a lot of the historians of the Roman period were the people that lost. They were the senatorial class, you know, the, that, that had been losing power, and, and they're writing as they're losing power, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, fuck me. I, 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 that's, that's fine. I'm not prepared to argue with you. It's, it's always fruitless. So good point. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely do take your point. Like, I think that you're right. And I think that it's not fair to say as like a blanket term that history is always written by the victors. Like I said, it's a cliche. And I said that for a reason, but in this particular instance, it's the literal truth. And yeah, yeah, it, no, no. I mean, yeah, no, I mentioned it's, it specifically it's, right now for a reason because yeah. that old cliche in the context of this episode is literally true. My point yeah, being, yeah. the 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 predominant source that we have on the Gallic Wars is literally the book called The Gallic War, written by the guy who was doing the genocide. Yeah, yeah you no, guessed it, Julius sure. Caesar, who was the victor, who literally wrote the history. So, can you see how I maybe had a point going there? Yeah, no. I mean, I do appreciate your need to express your views on who wrote history, but uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the Gallic War, written by Julius Caesar as a piece of personal propaganda. So, uh... Like 
like where they help at. These niggas pussy, they twat, they big cat. Big racks all on his head and they kidnap. Ayy, no cap, this shit here, big facts. Kicking in doors at the kickback, get back like. Run them pockets, let me get that. Ayy, 30 shots, but a hundred come with me. Wasn't proving no points, so we hit them with 60. Crip Street still screaming RIP Nipsey. I come from the grove, but the knife niggas with me. Ayy, 600, that shit kinda in me. I jumped off the porch to the block in the trench. I'm rocking designer, this block in my bitch. It's the bitch from the back, nigga, buy some inches. Six days and six nights, we was out on the mission. On the seventh, we seen them and caught them and flipped. Only right that we hit everybody that's with them. I've been causing hell ever since I was little. I can make a bitch shit like I'm Dr. Doolittle. Don't reach for this chain, tell your ass to a noodle. Yeah, I missed the trouble, I thought that you knew. Bitch. So that's the thing. So Julius Caesar wrote, literally wrote the book on Julius Caesar, um, yeah. and specifically on his conquest of Gaul. And it's called in Latin, uh, Commentariae de Bello Gallico, translated usually as the Gallic War or the Gallic Wars. Um, literally what commentaries on the war in Gaul. Yeah. Um, written ostensibly mostly by Caesar himself, derived from his personal journals that he kept during his campaign in Gaul. Um, I'm going to refer to it as the commentarii during this episode just to kind of differentiate it from when I say the Gallic Wars, which I will call the event. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a third-person account, which is super weird, and historians love to nitpick about why that is, um, of Caesar's campaign and his conquest of the vast region to the northwest of Roman territory called Gaul. So it was originally released in eight volumes between 48, I'm sorry, 58 and 49 BCE. Uh, the first seven of these were written by Caesar. Um, I say reportedly written by Caesar because there are historians who like doubt that, but I think the common consensus is that like he actually did write this, and there's no real reason to assume that he didn't. Um, and the final and eighth volume was written by one Aulus Hirtius, who was one of his most trusted generals and sort of aides. Uh, and he wrote that after Caesar was assassinated. We should bring back that name, Aulus. Yeah, Aulus. Aulus. Um, <clears throat> so as I said, the book is written in third person, which I'm just going to briefly talk about. It's interesting and has been debated by by historians. Some people claim that it's because it wasn't originally written by Caesar. It was written by other people about him, and then he just kind of slapped his name on it. I think that would be kind of a fucking <laughs> lame lack of foresight if he was planning on doing that wouldn't you just like go back and edit all of the like julius caesar to like i whatever yeah um people you know love arguing over basically all this stuff just like you know for example arguing about who writes history it's like historians are just love to nitpick and that's just like kind of the thing it's it's a lot of the fun of it it's honestly because at this point most history most history is speculative on a certain level right Oh, yeah. There's only so much proof you have. So, like, what's the fun if you're not going to sit around and, like, nitpick and argue with each other? Uh, Then it just becomes, like, a person Mm -hmm. sitting alone in a room reading a book and believing everything that they read. So, that being said, I think the the explanation for this that I've found the most compelling and that seems like the easiest and most likely explanation, um, rather than just being, like, a weird, like, ego trip, like Caesar referring to himself in the third person because he's a freak, uh, not everybody was literate in ancient Rome. Um... Although their literacy standards were were pretty impressive compared to basically everywhere else on the planet at this point, maybe barring like China, <laughs> and, and, and Greece, and even 
uh, in a thousand years. Yeah, well, more than a thousand. Yeah, it would be way worse in a thousand years. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> even in Italy and and the ancient Ro- the former Roman Empire, it would be staggeringly worse. But at this period in time, there were you know large literate societies. Like I said, China was probably better or or at least as good, and Greece yeah. for sure. But most of the world was not literate, and even in Rome, this was true. So. These volumes, when they were released, like I said, they're a work of personal propaganda written by Caesar. So the intent was for them to be read aloud in public so that people could hear about the exploits of this great general and whatever. And so like a, those, uh, going back to HBO's Rome, like the, the, the really big dude. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the town crier standing. Yes. <laughs> with this it is the duty of all Romans to do him no. harm if able. Yeah. That guy. <laughs> so. <laughs> I've seen the show. I love that guy. He's oh, awesome. he's he's so. I forget that actor's name, but uh, if you find it, bring it up. Well, well. Yeah, one it. of my uh, one of my mutuals on Twitter. He uh, uses him as his avi, and I love it every time I see it. Oh, yeah, the guy with so his cool. big fucking. He's got like, a big chins. neck and jowls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it quivers while he's speaking. That that yeah. was awesome bit of casting. Yeah, it was perfect, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's in third person because for Romans impersonation of public figures was actually really prominent having actors uh portray people in satires in public works of either defamation or propaganda um they even had people do this at funerals this was a big thing i forget what they're called but in modern english we call them funeral clowns where like if somebody had just died at their funeral procession you would hire someone to like impersonate them and kind of just like rip on them the whole time that's, and that was like considered like i actually didn't know that that's you didn't know about fucking, that no oh, yeah, yeah no that's that's a real thing um i forget what they were that's called pretty in, deranged. in latin but yeah it was super fun super fucking weird um so to differentiate from that, because people would be like, is this guy supposed to be Caesar? Like, what am I watching right now? They just straight up, like, did it in third person so that it made more sense to the average, like, audience member. Um, like, okay, this is about Caesar, and this guy's just reading this. He's not, like, pretending to be him or anything. Um, or some other random talking about shit that he did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so... Like I said, he really wanted to gain support, like with the just the people back home. He was a, a populare. Um, he's Hell becoming yeah. a rising champion of that. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, and just having, frankly, just the fact like of having his name repeatedly mentioned alongside his exploits publicly, that alone is just like worth it in terms of like getting the adoration and the trust of like the common people, you know, around. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I wanted to actually, if you're, if you want to talk a little bit about mm-hmm. the populares versus the optimates and that whole yeah. thing, I don't want to take too long on it. Um, and I also oh, didn't want to write it easy. out, but, but yeah, I yeah, figured... real, real quick. Uh, the optimates or the optimates were the suckers and losers. Um, <laughs> they were the, the <laughs> they were the stuffy little, uh, they were the stuffy dorks uh, screaming about, um, you know, tradition and, uh, you know getting mad at the the rabble and the populares were i mean they were swagged you know they um they had bde and uh you know they were uh, just like hey you know what normal people deserve to have nice things too and uh we'll get them that through seizing power and uh that's cool and the optimates are losers yep <laughs> i mean that was definitely a a, a biased approach but yeah they were yeah. like the two like opposing political let's yeah. call them parties i don't know if that's really fair to do at this time but for the modern listener that might be the easiest way to look yeah at they're it. not really like parties in the sense that we yeah. have it's more like um like kind of like a social circles sure 
more than anything. Uh, yeah, the Optimates were just like um, largely like the old patrician families uh, who were really about uh, let's be they uh, were all rep- patricians. Yeah, yeah, but the popularities the they're all patricians. <laughs> so yeah, sort but of the like popularities were our at current least, situation now where it's yeah. like the Democrats and the Republicans might be like officially opposed on certain issues but like they're all going to the same dinner parties they're all yeah. elites and they're all better than us like that's, yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah um yeah, so julius like, caesar like is not a common man yeah he's no, championing he is, the people he is from one of the most uh uh one of the most of ancient the yeah. yes um yeah, julii and so even though he had like a plebeian uh uh plebeian family members including his successor augustus who was mm-hmm. born plebeian uh but adopted into the patrician family right. but yeah the optimates were more like the the really stuffy um uh, uh the stuffy like true like republican values uh, right. really about uh not changing at all not giving um, more power to the common folks uh the plebeians yeah in, yeah in political office they, they were very conservative and the popularities were more uh they at least they were uh, talked about like land reform um, yeah, and, about, and they did yeah. want to divest a little bit of senatorial yeah. power to the masses, um, but it's really yeah. it's all just a power like, grab. Yeah, the, the like the Tribune of the plebs stuff like that, right? Um, power that. So, but you know. make no mistake, they weren't like talking about like we need to just like give all power to the people. Both parties yeah. were in favor of patrician control, staying where it was. In fact, I mean, look at Julius Caesar, who is a patrician, and his goal is to just become. Dictator in perpetua. Yeah, big swinging dick. So, like, he's not out here championing, like, democracy or whatever. He's yeah. still, they're all in support of bullshit. Um, so, anyway, yeah. So, that that's that's a, thank you. That was a good little, like, overview of the situation that's going on in Rome. And Julius Caesar is firmly on the side of the populare. So and we're having a this, populare this, podcast. <laughs> we are. Of the two, we definitely are. So yeah. he's he's in, definitely needs this, like, work of propaganda floating around because, like, the common people love hearing about, like, a good, ro- like, salt-of-the-earth Roman going out and doing good Roman things, like, fucking capturing slaves and, like, merkin barbarians. Yeah. That's, like, the, that's their shit. They love a that. A good Roman with a really fucked-up cranium. Yeah, dude. Big old <laughs> nasty-looking head. Yeah, he had that, like, fucking, uh, uh, what is it, like, it was, like, totally, like, one side of his head was grown way out, then the other side looked really Something fucking like crazy, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Some um, malformation. Oh, Christ, we gotta get a move on. <laughs> what are we at, 43 minutes? Oh, sorry, yeah. guys, you're in for a long one today. Uh, <laughs> it's just, there's no avoiding it. It's, it's gonna be a long one. Yeah. Um, so, we talked a little bit, Ivan just mentioned it, about Caesar's family, the Julii. They're a very, very old patrician gens, um... But one which had long since surrendered any major power or influence in the city. So he's hoping to return the family name to the highest levels of fame and glory. Um, and what good are these conquests if nobody ever hears about them? Um, as for the claims that the commentarii weren't authored by Caesar, as I said, I don't find that particularly compelling. By all accounts, he was an excellent uh, writer and orator. And he was highly educated, and so I have no real doubt in his like ability to compose a sh- short, pretty basic work of military history, um, or to grasp the importance of doing so. Um, I don't think anybody makes the case that Caesar was like a fucking idiot moron. Like everybody pretty mm-hmm. much agrees that he was a really great general and like a really smart, savvy leader. People and are just that, like, more. All the people who served under him loved him. They just loved the shit out of him. They literally yeah. would have killed themselves for him. Yeah, he would like walk walk through the ranks and just like talk to his soldiers like make dick jokes. Like literally, like yeah. he, they loved him because he would like talk dirty. Like yeah. he would like he would cuss and like didn't act like a big hoity toity yeah. patrician. He would like you know be like, hey, like how's that girl you fuck? Like yeah, <laughs> titties still nice. Like that yeah. was sort of, and soldiers famously like temperate shit. though, so he wouldn't be like getting wasted or like yeah. really like gorging on food. He was famously extremely temperate. Yeah, and like 
all all, uh, all sort of uh, uh, pleasurable things. <laughs> um, so anyway, so the reason that I've spent so much time talking about the commentarii, the book, is that to this day, it, it actually remains the absolute best contemporary first-person description of Gaul and the Celtic peoples and their society that we have available for study. Um, there are definitely earlier accounts and later accounts, but of the period, this really is, this is it. And so obviously, while the ironclad reliability of Caesar's narrative has to be held to scrutiny, because again, this is first and foremost a a self-serving propaganda piece, and that should never not be at the forefront of your mind when you're hearing anything Julius Caesar says about Gaul. There's no real reason to suspect that the work is wholly or even mostly a fabrication. There are obviously things he's going to kind of goose up to make himself look better, but Mm -hmm. like he's not inventing a lot of this. Like he is, there's no real logical reason for him to lie about most of what he talks about the Gauls, except when it like makes him seem like more of a badass for beating them, um, which maybe detracts from some nuance, and we will talk a little bit about that later. Um, <clears throat> there are, though, obviously historians who disagree, and they think that the whole thing is like should be dismissed outright, whatever. Um, but whatever, despite its flaws, it's it's basically what we've got. Optimate scum. <laughs> it's basically what we've got. So this is this is what we we've got to tell us about the Gauls, about Gaul, the Celts all these different interchangeable terms. Um, and that sort of segues nicely into our next section, what is a Gaul, where we're going to discuss... Well, you may be surprised to hear this, but Gaul is divided into three parts. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so that's famously the first line of the Gallic War. Um, he goes on to sort of... The Romans loved categorizing things and stuff. But um, So in episode 50, I'm like I said, we those. spent a lot... <laughs> right. They, they, we talked a lot about Caesar... Um, and we discussed Gaul like a little bit, but it was really more like a, a tale of the tape where I talked about like how their military forces were arrayed and stuff. And there's obviously more to them than that. Um, Caesar puts a lot of emphasis on that. Um, but so from this, I'm using some more modern articles and some uh, arche- ar- archaeological findings and stuff kind of peppered in there. Um, but again, even with that, a lot of this, pretty much everything you read about the Gauls of this period is filtered through the Gallic War. Like that, uh, when I say that it's like far and away the most prevalent source on that period it, it it really is it's sort of the beginning middle and end of study of this period of time and then modern archaeology has heavily supplemented that but when it comes to like period texts this is like that's it it's like the best it's the it's the, the main source yeah um <clears throat> so we've talked so much about rome but i i really feel like it wouldn't be right to talk about any sort of like we did with the aztecs i'm not going to talk about that and not talk about i'm not going to just talk about spain and then be like, yeah, and they conquered the Aztecs, and who gives a fuck about the Aztecs? Um, obviously, we know a lot less about the Gaul, the Gauls than we do about the Aztecs, but uh, I want to talk about who these people were that Caesar was using to, to, to further his own career. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the Romans, heavily influenced by the Greeks before them, as I said, they loved to categorize things, and they were especially fond of doing this with people and cultures. Uh, They themselves, as Romans, were possessed of a super strong sense of self-identity. And so they're most comfortable living in a world where everyone has that sort of easily identifiable uh, uh, self-identity. And so where other people don't provide that for themselves, the Romans are happy to provide that for you. No. So if you you do not have an identity, one will be provided for you. Right, exactly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So... If you asked a Roman about the massive, massive area of land to the north of their borders, which is most of Central and Western Europe, they would have said that, roughly speaking, the western half of that was Gaul, and the eastern half of that was Germania, Germania. 
the people in those regions, well, they're Gauls and they're Germans. Simple, right? And that is super inaccurate, <laughs> but <laughs> it serves as a really great sort of first layer for us and for our introduction. Think of it that way. So to the Romans, Central Europe, roughly corresponding to Germany and then, you know, surrounding other nations like Austria, etc., is Germania. West of that, roughly France and everything north of Hispania um, and south of, say, Scandinavia. That's Gaul. Italy has a natural northern boundary in the Alps, um, mm -hmm. which form a protective wall around the peninsula. South of these uh, mountains, the peoples were largely Italic peoples. And by this time, all of those had basically been absorbed into the, the Roman sphere. Uh, beyond the mountains lay the barbarian lands. Who were barbarians? Basically everyone that wasn't Roman, Greek, or from a handful of other, quote, civilized Mediterranean cultures with similar ideals to the Romans. So for our purposes, we're obviously focusing on the region the Romans referred to as Gaul. Mm -hmm. um, so as I said, on a modern map, Gaul can be thought of as roughly comprising modern France, parts of Switzerland, um, most of Belgium, bits of the Netherlands, and a small northern section of modern Italy. This is a huge territory, roughly 190,000 square miles or like 400-something square kilometers. It's huge. Uh, so Rome controls Hispania after defeating mm. Carthage in previous centuries, and so that forms part of the southern border of Gaul, which obviously also borders northern Italy. And then there's another, the Rhine River represents the, the massive um, uh, uh, separating line between Gaul and Germany to the east. Uh, to the north is the coast and the English Channel, mm -hmm. uh, and across from that, the Isles of Britannia and Hibernia, Britain and Ireland in modern terms. Uh, these strange, islands, rainy, exotic islands. Super strange. Often the mists populated blue by... Blue naked dudes standing on top of cliffs as exactly. you come nearby with your boat. Spooky. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, uh, dude, honestly, that must have, like, blown some fucking Roman minds when yeah, they, I like, get to that. the end of Gaul, and then they just get on the boats, and they look, and there's just some... Some some blue fucking chav just just standing on the top of the cliff. You what, mate? <laughs> totally naked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just with his like big fucking head and his pasty skin, and he's like, oh, don't much like night. foreigners around these parts. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> so these these two islands were considered distinct from Gaul, uh, but they share a Celtic heritage and a long history of trade and alliance with their mainland counterparts. So there's sort of there's a lot of cultural interplay between the two. Um, as far as we can tell, the vast majority of the peoples present in the macro region of Gaul were uh, quote Celtic peoples. Now, as with everything during this time, all of these categorizations that the Romans loved, there is a scholarly debate about exactly what it entails like being a celtic person mm -hmm. um because it's clear that there's there's hardly one unified culture or cultural identity across this entire region or likely an ethnicity that we could call a celt um, yeah. the easiest way to group it is that they spoke celtic languages now as we know lots of people speak related languages but are massively culturally distinct for example the cl closest language to english is uh is west frisian West yeah. Frisian. Um, and it's not mutually intelligible at all. Like, I can't understand that language. But it's far and away the closest language to English. Yeah, so, uh, you can definitely pick up stuff. Yeah, like, their, their syntax is very similar. And um, if you know, like, I've watched, like, a video before 
where like I knew the subject they were talking about like like uh like magic mushrooms or something like that and like you could definitely pick up like yeah maybe five percent maybe but you weren't so, you wouldn't like feel comfortable like yeah. going into uh, a restaurant oh, and no, like no, ordering no. your meal you know what I mean like yeah, yeah you yeah. can see the similarities you can, yeah you can quickly pick up stuff that's why it's like like uh, yeah like uh, like Frisian is supposed to be like the easiest language to learn right um if you're an English speaker. Because, like, they, they even, like, even, like the way that they, like, conjugate is similar. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no, like, um, like uh, masculine or feminine nouns yeah, like sy- English. Syntactically, it's it's, yeah. it's almost identical. Yeah. Um, it's really just, like, the, the specific grammar and pronunciation that's, like, vastly different. And so that's, yeah. with the, that's with the closest language to our own. Yeah. So, you know, then to imagine the difference between us and another Germanic language, say, like, um, you know. Well, Frisian is supposed to be, like, halfway or, in between. Or Dutch in general is supposed to be like halfway in between German and English, right? Kind of. Yeah. So then look at German. It's even harder. Look at look at yeah. Icelandic. These are all Germanic languages, and they're so different. And so yeah. you have to assume that with all the Celtic languages, there's at least that degree of difference. And back then, I mean, so we have existing Celtic languages. You know, you speak mm-hmm. Irish, you speak uh, Scottish, Gaelic, Welsh, Manx, um, yeah. Breton in northern France, Cornish, whatever. And even those, they're, they're not mutually intelligible. Um, yeah. Those are all Celtic languages now. And they've had at least hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, of attempted uh, cultural assimilation at play to make those cultures closer together under the Anglosphere. Back then, you know, the degree to which different regions and different tribes had different languages and different beliefs must have been massive. And mm-hmm. so you really can't pretend that this is like, you know, one big culture group. Um, yeah, yeah. They had, you know, a spectrum of mutual intelligibility, you know, spreading across Europe yeah. and certain cultural practices which were similar. But beyond that, we're talking about a bunch of different tribes and tribal groups. You can really make a connection to um, the native peoples of the Americas when Europeans arrived here. Um, we're thinking of a, a very similarly diverse collection of peoples who you know, maybe as you cross the country, you can create sort of a continuum of related languages, related genetic, you know, branches, whatever. But they're so different from one another that it's really not fair to say, oh, they're all Indians. They're all Native American. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's, it's such a, a broad categorization that it really, you lose so much of the, the cultural distinction there. Um, yeah, it's really more a description of their relation to you yes. than their relation to each other. Exactly. And so, I mean, that was its function for the Romans. But I just really want to hammer home to the listener that, like, you can't, you, you, you can't take that too seriously when we say, like, oh, these are all, these are all Celts, right? Like, mm-hmm. what does that really mean? But to the Romans, there's some unifying thing here. Um, and also, I mean, Celtic culture was super, super far spread at its greatest extent, which was yeah. maybe a century prior to the events we're talking about here. Um, everywhere from Ireland in the northwest all the way over to like to parts of Anatolia, southwestern Hispania, southwestern Hispania, like Portugal, yeah, um, and then the all Celt- the way over Iberians. to like Anatolia. There were Celts yeah. in in modern Turkey on the coast of the Black Sea, um, all throughout what now would be considered Germany, um, yeah. and so. <clears throat> It's, it's just incredibly widespread, and they're intermingling with people that the Romans and Greeks would have called Germans, who are, we know that they were distinct, and that their language family is distinct, but 
there's so much mingling between the two culturally, trade-wise, linguistically, um, that it's likely that they're, they're, the lines at, at that point would have been extremely blurred. And if a modern geneticist or historian had had access to this period in time, we'd probably realize that calling one German and one Celtic was really kind of silly. But mm-hmm. the Romans did it, so we do it. Um, the Celtic homeland, if you want to call it that, appears to have been roughly correspondent to central Germany, and then they sort of spread out to all those areas over time. Mm-hmm. Um, Celts would have definitely spoken dozens of languages. You can't assume that they would have all been mutually intelligible. Obviously, probably some more, of them. Yeah, probably, yeah. Some of them probably were. Probably more than dozens. Yeah, well, right. Yeah. Um, but some of them must have been because they traded yeah. with one another and they, they created alliances and whatever. Um, <clears throat> generally, we think that they were organized along tribal and familial lines, uh, possibly kind of reminiscent of later clan structures like you would see in, in like Scotland, um, sort of in Ireland, family based with like, uh, you know, sort of usually like a, like a chief of some sort, some king, whatever you want to call it, but sort of like a big man in charge. Um, a ricks. Yep. Which was again derived very similar to the to Rick, which was the Germanic root for king Reich. You know what I mean, kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll see, you'll see that Ray, you'll see French. that um, Rex in Latin. You'll see yep, that exactly. that root as uh, is very common in a lot of Celtic names as we go through our story. More next week, but um, they probably would have mostly been polytheistic. Uh, only snippets of their religious practices are known, and again, they would have been super varied. So, like what they worshipped in, you know, Ireland was probably vastly different than than Belgica and vastly different than Hispania. But um, definitely heavily nat- nature focused, um, and in most cases, it seems that they were their religious practices were overseen by a religious caste who were called the Druids um, by Caesar. Uh, uh, just as a brief uh, brief aside. Uh, in my expanding mystery religion series, uh, I believe I may also get into some of these Druidic and Celtic and like ancient uh, Britannic polytheist religions. So that's gangster, yeah. It's, <laughs> it gets really cool, and we're not yeah. going to talk too much about it here. So um, that would be awesome, actually, if we did that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is likely that at least in certain areas, ritual human sacrifice was fairly common. Um, evidenced by like you know bog bodies we find like mummified remains of people ritualistically like drowned in bogs um which seems to have been like a pretty common practice among the celts um but we don't have anything written about that and this is largely because generally speaking uh, it seems like the celtic peoples valued oral history and tradition above written history and tradition Um, a lot of historians for a long time took that to mean that they were illiterate um, and as I said, most, peop- most people were illiterate on planet Earth at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's no evidence, there, there is evidence to suggest that in, in at least parts of the Celtic world, literacy was fairly common um, and that various Celtic groups had adopted use of either the Greek or Latin alphabets fairly early. And some of them had their own sort of rune-like or rune-adjacent um, writing systems, um, none of which really are preserved. We don't have a lot of that left. Um, more, we just have attestations to their existing from other sources um, who didn't bother to like preserve the writings themselves. Um, it seems likely that this was mainly used for like economic trade purposes, record keeping, um, maybe like history, things like that. Um, 
but it seems pretty evident that they they actually preferred to keep their religious traditions, their personal histories, the stories of their 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 migrations, their great leaders, things like that, um, oral, and that they really valued the the memory preservation of those things. That was an important part of it. Um, we don't know that for sure, but that's what the evidence suggests. Free my niggas on lot. They be hanging up the pistols with a toothpaste. Up the skull, we ain't tying out a shoelace. Serving ain't to say it's good for a toothache. I had to cuss some people out, they were too fake. Should've had four eyes, it was two faced. They was trying to slow me down, but it's too late. I used to rob, had to find me a new way. After missing two flights, I thought I'd never make it. Back to the block with this, back to the basic. Come from the bottom, right under a basement. And this for them people who wanna erase me. I'm nice with the green in the pack, and it lacing. Boy, I went blind looking at how you hate me. No lie about it, the struggle would make me. But I never switch, I ain't Katie or Brady. Say I was ready and willing to put in that work and come up on the killing. He wrote to my people, the others a villain. Don't fuck with the feeling, let's keep it authentic. I don't want no dealings, I ain't fucking with it. This ain't a pill gold, ain't no time to go kick it. I'm here so believer than not that with Ripley. You can't take a loss, why the fuck would you send it? I was broke as a joke, had to get it back. Wake up, Tron on the track, it's a hit with that. Put it out on the line, it was tip for tip. Cross that line and we calling the bliss for this. It will play out the play with no huddle up. Can't believe everything, it's a cover up. Better think for you, act like it's double dust. This the shit that I went through the struggle for. Something wrong, I'ma go and get a cash can. I used to serve blow with a bad fan. Gone trip, I'm getting at him like Pac-Man. Buy one, get one when the pack land. Other side of the style, my business. I'm the captain, the sergeant, lieutenant. Swing the door, we gon' fuck up the hinges. I'm the truth, hope you don't get offended. Hey. They been hanging up the pistols with a toothpaste. Up the skull, we ain't tying out a shoelace. Serving ain't to say it's good for a toothache. I had to cuss some people out, they were too fake. Should've had four eyes, he was two faced. They was trying to slow me down, but it's too late. I used to rob, had to find me a new way. After missing two flights, I thought I'd never make it. Back to the block with this, back to the basic. Come from the bottom, right under a basement. And this for them people who wanna erase me. I'm nice with the green in the pack, and it lace it. Boy, I went blind looking at how you hate me. No lie about it, the struggle would make me. But I never switch, I ain't KD or Brady. This is trading and I ain't okay with it. If you crossing that line, you gon' lay with it. Do or die every time, I won't play with it. This lock ain't a roommate, but I stay with it. It get hectic, you best stay away from it. Where I'm from, I can't fuck with no rat. Uh, they were generally pastoralist farmers, so they're not nomads. Um, and they had mm -hmm. permanent settlements and homesteads. Um, and occasionally they would build larger fortifications, uh, though they built mainly in turf and wood. So their structures, structures lacked the permanence that you see in Greece and Rome. You're not going to find some large castle built by, by the Celts. Even though they might have yeah. had really impressive settlements, they were building in materials that just do not last. You'll find the thatched archway. Right. No. You won't find that. <laughs> um, but that's not to suggest that they weren't uh, adequate builders or didn't live in complex societies. They just didn't utilize the materials that would have left behind the same kind of evidence. Um, that being said, their settlements probably just were not as big as you would get around the Mediterranean. The kind mm -hmm. of economic structure there just wouldn't permit it or make that logical for them to pursue. Um, we do know that they were skilled metallur met metallurgists. Is it metallurgists? Yeah, metallurgy um, and metallurgists. I don't think it's metallurgists. No, so I think it's metallurgists. It's metallurgists. Uh, they worked with metal. Uh, they were firmly in their Iron Age at this point. Um, they were metal men. They were metal men. The like, metal, the metal men. <laughs> like Gondahar. Like Gondahar, yeah. <laughs> we're a pro-Gondahar podcast. You guys got to see oh, Gondahar. Yeah. Obscenely pro-Gondahar. Yeah. Wild, wildly pro Gondahar pod. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, a lot of the artifacts that were left behind were... just wrongly formed. Or malformed, what does he say? Don't you remember? (laughs) Fuck. Um, we gotta watch that again. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like the greatest movie of all time. Yeah. Um, so anyway... What they did leave behind that we have access to is is really beautiful metalwork. Um, they worked in gold. They had a lot of gold, which, spoiler alert, they were just swagged out. Main main reason Gaul, like Caesar wants to go to Gaul, like whatever he says, like there's a lot of gold in Gaul and he wants that. Um, mm-hmm. But they also made like beautiful swords, and they were famous for their use of swords and how common really nice swords were among their 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 people um, relative to like other. Uh, sort of citizen-based military structures, which were most militaries on the planet at that point, um, they had these, like, awesome swords. And so they had access to really good arms and armor. Um, The average Celtic warrior or Gallic warrior would have probably seemed pretty primitive to, like, the heavily armored and and drilled Roman legions. Yeah. because as I was sort of starting to say, they are basically a citizen fighting force. Nobody is like a professional soldier, um, yeah. unless you're like, you know, maybe like a like a quote noble chief or a king, and like his direct few like retinue people that are like around him. Pretty much everyone else is just like a farmer um, who fights when they have to, and they owe like yeah. allegiance to. So they're self-equipped, um, and they just don't have access to like anything crazy. But if you looked at like a professional like a chief or like his like top dudes, they probably would have been at least as well armored um, and armed as uh, as a Roman legionary with like full scale armor, helmets, all kinds of crazy stuff. Big yeah. shields, nice swords. Um, a chief and his dudes. Yep. His top dudes. And they wouldn't have fought naked generally. Um, they did occasionally in Brit- Britannia specifically is where I think they, yeah. they see most of that. And that's really more of an intimidation tactic than anything. They Fucking knew that it wasn't like... blue and just running around yeah. just dick swinging. Yeah, they're like, look, I'm not afraid to fight you literally fucking naked. And like yeah. that does say something about who you're up against. They're, they're crazy. Um, <laughs> and they would use that woad dye, which is that blue dye, and they would either yeah. tattoo themselves or mark themselves um in frightening ways and you know just just coming by the the cliffs there yeah uh and southern uh southern uh britain see and you just see a bunch of pale naked blue dudes bunch of pale fucking weirdos <laughs> yeah i just blew it naked as the day they were born yeah yeah um <clears throat> so to roman eyes the celts in general would have appeared uh very fair fair of hair light eyes light skin Blonde and red hair were much more prevalent than they were among Latin-speaking peoples. Green and blue eyes, things that you didn't see a lot in the Italian peninsula. Um, They were also, on average, larger than Romans. um, More physically imposing, more muscular, taller. Uh, Though, in general, people in these days trended much smaller than they do now. Um, So, nobody my size. I would have literally been like a giant um, at 6'4". But you might have seen some like Gauls who were like the high fives, low sixes. And those just would have scared the shit out of like the little five foot three, five foot four Roman legionaries who were tough. Yeah. Those, were, those were tough motherfuckers, but they were small. Yeah, they were tough little bastards. They were but... tough little bastards. Um, <laughs> Still little bastards. <laughs> the men would wear long. Oh my god, that just reminds me. So I, a couple of years ago, probably close to ten years ago now, an ex of mine who you knew, uh, the yeah. mean one, 
uh, got me a really cool gift and got me tickets to this exhibit of samurai artifacts and arms and armor at the MFA. Yeah. And so we went and we were looking and all I could think the whole time they were showing these like full suits of armor. I was like, yo, these were the smallest little men. Like <laughs> these things were all so tiny dude like yeah and they were awesome i mean so intricate so cool the big scary face masks and all that shit the swords but they like but these were some little motherfuckers itty bitty dude like oh, so many of these little badass like samurai guys were like five two five three five four like itty bitty it was hysterical that's, but yeah, so that's cool so fucking one funny. of the coolest things i've ever seen though like very very neat um so yeah, anyway you just, uh, can you just imagine one of those little bastards just oh they would have fucked shins, you dude? up they would have fucked me up like uh, i'm not saying this to be like oh i could beat up a samurai or whatever like probably not i mean in full medieval plate though like i'm not about to i i think we both agree on this like the 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 glorification of the samurai is like such a weeaboo thing like Give oh, me a fucking fully armored armor with like a like a steel sword. Even you today, you would just go there and just like yeah. just lock them to death. Just wade yeah. through. That's I mean, look at like when we're talking about the conquest of the Aztecs. Like that's just a bunch of misfits and nobodies, but they're in like full steel plate with fucking lances and swords and early firearms, and they're just like yeah, we'll conquer and Mexico. Hunting bitches to the one yard line. Yeah, <laughs> and and the, the Aztecs were like some of the f- the fiercest, scariest dudes in the world. But like whatever. Yeah. You got steel plate on. You're you're nothing's really gonna fucking hurt you. Yeah, you, you. got a loincloth, dog. So like uh, like a fully armored like Norman knight would have just like ass blasted a fucking samurai. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I digress. So the men and women would both wear their hair long, um, and they would the men would wear these carefully groomed mustaches and beards, uh, oh. and their hair would often be braided and sort of hung with like cool little trinkets. They would have looked awesome, but to the Romans, they would have just looked scary as fuck. Because at this point, you know, we're not talking about Hadrian and shit with like the big beard and the bushy hair. Romans of this era, like the men, short hair, clean shaven. Yeah, yeah, uh, you would women, not have a beard. hair piled up in very intricate, you know, hairdos, but up, not like just down loose over the shoulders. Um, Celtic men would also wear these torques, which were like these sort of solid but like really intricately carved pieces of precious metal that were like bent around either their neck or around their arms um which had some sort of significance either to like their lord or 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 uh the gods or something we don't really know but it was really prevalent as a fashion among them um and all of this would have just appeared really foreign and barbaric to the romans um but the romans also heavily romanticized them um even as they sort of conquered and despised them sort of very similar to the way that uh europeans did with the indigenous peoples of the americas right so you see lots of people like oh my god the the it's this sort of the noble savage fallacy right where like you you do not actually respect these people enough to not like subjugate and genocide them but you find things about their culture romantic in a way where you like sort of fetishize them and create this ideal even as you're like wiping them off the face of the planet which is you know pretty typical of of conquering peoples um caesar especially would remark on the bravery and the savagery with which the celtic people fought in battle and their lack of regard for personal safety even when massively outnumbered yeah. Uh, they also utilized excellent cavalry, and in some regions, they still used war chariots, again, specifically in Britannia, which are considered archaic even at this point in many other areas of the world, but are still, like, super scary to see on the battlefield, like, just charging for you with, like, bladed wheels and fucking archers in the back or whatever. Um, oh, and lastly, I do want to mention that the uh, the Celts and the Gauls were, were actually probably headhunters. Um, yeah. 
there's a lot of evidence to suggest that Celtic warriors would collect the the heads of their fallen enemies and keep them and mummify them and like display them in their homes as evidence of like hey look I just uh, this is how many guys I killed and the Celts apparently believed that your soul was kept in the head which is closer to true than what a lot of other people believed I mean your brain is up there uh, and so they thought that they could like maintain some sort of power of like who they'd killed, or at least that's the thought. And so they would keep them and like show them off and be like, yeah, these are all the dudes I beheaded. Just pretty, pretty gruesome, pretty metal. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> um, but I really want to make the case that like folks like Caesar are definitely going to hype up that shit. They're definitely going to talk about like how tough and big and strong and brave and scary the Celts were. When in reality, like they're definitely just people. Um, well, obviously, like if any of us were to meet anybody like any barbarian person from this period of time they would be tougher and scarier than than you and would be like just way more badass overall just because of the time they lived in and the life that they lived but like there were definitely cowardly gauls they were not all like superman fucking super soldiers um caesar had a vested interest in in hyping that up to make it seem like his conquest of gaul was like that scary and that difficult to achieve so don't like assume that these were like these just like vicious, bloodthirsty, like awful people. They they were just people, and they were yeah. different, and they had a really interesting, unique culture. But whatever. We don't know a lot about their gender roles. Um, we don't know a lot about the norms of that in the Celtic world. Um, what we do know is filtered through the eyes of the notoriously conservative and prudish Romans, um, to whom the Celts appeared like wildly promiscuous and free with sex and whatever. Women were allowed to do all these crazy things for all these wild roles. It is really likely that their society was still pretty patriarchal. Um, yeah. I know a lot of like modern like neo pagans and like Wiccans like to talk about the fact that they probably worship the mother goddess and stuff. Yeah, probably, but like this is still like ancient Europe, classical Europe. Like most of these societies were largely patriarchal. That just sort of is what the evidence points to. Not to say that's good or bad, just that men were fulfilling most of the dominant military roles, the political roles. That's just what we know about. Um <clears throat> But they were definitely at least slightly less dementedly patriarchal than fucking Rome. Because Rome was, like, such a dude's rock society. It was, yeah. it was it was wild. Like, really gross. Yeah, having sex with women is gay. The <laughs> only... Uh, it's actually very straight to fuck your boy in the in the thighs. Yeah, dude. Women make you soft, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, they had uh, a long history of trade and conflict with, with the Romans. Um... Because they had, like, all this beautiful gold and cool metalwork and shit. Um, and that dates back to... And I think I actually got this... Yeah, okay. Um, the Romans had long viewed them as enemies, despite these prolonged periods of peace. Really, most of their history was peaceful. Um, but it stems mostly from an incident in 390 BCE, when an army of Cisalpine Gauls, led by a chieftain named Brennus, uh, crushed the Romans at the Battle of Alia and sacked Rome, holding the city for several months before ransoming it back to the Romans. Um, in fact, this is the one time in an 800-year span um, when the city would fall to foreign invaders, uh, a streak which is eventually ended in spectacular fashion in 410 CE when the Visigoths yeah. come through and fuck shit up permanent style. Like, end yeah. of the Western Empire forever. So even though that was like 350 years ago, by this point that we're talking about, there was this thing about the Romans that's really, really important to remember. 
they don't forgive, and they absolutely do not forget shit like this. So the Gauls, i.e. one small Celtic ethnic group from Cisalpine Gaul, which, by the way, at this point is already, like, a Roman province, and they've all been subjugated and totally, you know, they're under the Roman yoke. So, like, any vengeance that they needed against those specific Gauls has literally been achieved. But, you know, the Romans decided that everyone up there is Gaul, and so they're all, you know, guilty of the same crime that this one group 400 years ago committed against us. Uh, They've wronged Rome, and Judgment Day is fucking nigh. Um, Also, lastly, I do want to talk about the way that the Romans organized Gaul. Um, Gaul is sort of, there are either five or six major regions of Gaul. Um, According to Caesar, he says, like Evan said at the start of his book, Gaul is divided into three parts. Those are the three parts that are not yet incorporated into Roman territory. So that's wild Gaul. These are the, yeah. these are, uh, what is, what do they call them? The hairy Gauls. These are the Gauls that are still out there fucking, you know, doing Gallic shit, not like, you know, totally incorporated into Roman society. Yeah. Um, civilized Gauls. The two or potentially three other provinces, I guess three at this point, are uh, Narbonensis, which is also sometimes just called the province. Caesar refers to it as the province. Um, so think modern Provence in France, which is where mm-hmm. that name comes from. It was the first over, overseas Roman province, and so it's called the province um, and the Riviera. Uh, there's Gallia Cisalpina, which is northern Italy, uh, Gaul on this side of the Alps, the Roman side of the Alps. And then also Gallia Transalpina, which is... A collective term for every part of Gaul on the other side of the Alps, but also at this point there is a small strip of province called Transalpine Gaul that is will come up in our story in a minute. Um, so th- those are like the Romanized parts of Gaul, the parts that are most adjacent to or in Italy. The remaining three, which are vast, which are the ones that Caesar talks about at the start of his book, are Belgica, which guess where that is? Mostly modern Belgium and a little bit of the Netherlands. There's Gallia Celtica, which is like all of France mostly and like a part of Switzerland. And then there's Aquitania, which is a little part of southern France, roughly corresponding to modern Aquitaine. Um, and that's bordering Hispania to the south. They would also, like I said, refer to this part all as Transalpine Gaul. It's just Gaul on the other side of the Alps. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the important thing that I want to drive home at the end of all that is ultimately it's like they are there. They're available as enemies. There's this like sort of vague ancient pretext for the Romans to dislike them and consider them enemies. And they have a lot of gold and a lot of goods and, you know, like, it's not the most fertile land, whatever, but it's a really great buffer state. The Romans are really scared of the Germans. Uh, they don't want the Germans to be on their frontier. Um, and so there's all good reasons for Caesar to fucking... And uh, historically speaking, uh, for many centuries and millennia, that is a legitimate concern. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, the Germans are, they're scary. They're yes. really fucking scary. And you know what? They win a lot more than the Gauls do. <laughs> They're just scarier. Um, so these are all good reasons for Caesar to kind of like concoct uh, a pretext for him to go. A, a casus belli, which we'll talk about in a minute. Hopping out swagging, you know what I mean? Shit crazy, nigga. Taking pictures on the jet, escalate at my arrival. Gotta stay on your toes, nigga. Work on your posture. Checking emails with the bitch and counting up profit. V12 in the bed. I just breeze through the traffic. I just ran a couple miles and bust a move before seven. Smile.
smile on my face when I count, it's a fetish First you gotta take your passion, then apply pressure You fucked around and spent your whole advance on a necklace So many whips, I might ship one to Texas Courtside chilling with these emeralds in my necklace You caught the bitch back to back, acting hella extra I don't see how niggas do it, man, that shit so embarrassing GT speed when I'm sliding through the city Every man for himself gotta move with intention Niggas say they go rob me, nigga bet get with me Sliding with a faux Nicky in a Drake with a 50 Still building bigger brands, making plays on the low Snow bunny out in humble with a line on them bowls All you broke niggas did was put me mo on my toes I'm the type to park the lamb and double back in the rows Nice car, Larry What's happening? Spaceships on the blade and shit You know what I'm talking about? So if you guys remember where we left off, hopefully you've gone back and re-listened to episode 50. Um, we left off in 59 BCE. Caesar is serving a consulship, and then he's about to finish that up and leverage his influence with the triumvirate into a five-year proconsulship in both Illyria, which is roughly modern Croatia and where he would basically never go, and <laughs> Cisalpine Gaul, which is Gaul on this side of the Alps, the northernmost Italian frontier province, excepting Transalpine Gaul, which is like a little strip to the north of that. He's eyeing, uh, with great interest, a migration of the Helvetii, which is a confederation of Alpine Gallic tribes from modern Switzerland, who are looking to move south due to German incursions into their traditional lands. All Caesar sees here is opportunity. The Helvetii, according to Caesar, had been maneuvering to dominate all of Gaul uh, under their chief, a super wealthy fella named Orgetorix, which I think the, the modern approximation means like killer king. Uh, who had his own little, which is a pretty cool name, <laughs> he yeah. had his own little triumvirate, apparently, of Celtic chieftains that mir- mirrored Caesar. Um, I think the common assumption here is that Caesar is kind of, like, using this as, like, a narrative allegory for, like, his own rise to power, and it's, like, not, probably not really true, but... Yeah. So Caesar then claimed that he'd been found out, his plans to, like, usurp authority and conquer all of free Gaul had been found out, and then he was arrested and then killed himself in shame uh, for the ridiculous aim of trying to seize power in this this awful way, which Who is kind of that? a funny point for Caesar to be making, um, seeing as how he's like literally trying to do this same thing. Yeah. Um, but it sort of makes sense from a narrative perspective for him to like paint would-be tyrants in this negative light, especially since Rome is still like ostensibly really anti-king. They really don't mm-hmm. like that shit. And so he's just trying to, like, paint himself as, like, a guy who's like, I saw this, and, of course, these debased people, you know, would try to resort to tyranny, whatever. So Caesar's looking at this, but he can't really do anything right away. Uh, Because for a consul or a proconsul to mobilize legions and declare war, which is a right they have, um, but they need a casus belli, which is a cause for war. Um, That's a term that we still use in English. Uh, Mm -hmm. Which you then present to the Senate for either approval or veto. So to declare war without a legal casus belli is illegal. Um, it's an abuse of consular or proconsular authority. But Caesar's got an itchy trigger finger. He wants the prestige and he wants the cash. Uh, and only full-scale scale war against Gaul right now makes sense for him to do that. And when he sees the Helvetia encroaching on Roman lands, he gets stiff as a goddamn board. He's mm-hmm. like, this is my fucking shot. Then, by stroke of luck, the proconsul of Transalpine Gaul, or that little strip that's under Roman control, he dies. 
and Pompey pulls some strings and gets Caesar that as well. So he's now consul, a proconsul of three separate provinces for an unprecedented five years. A normal term would be one year long, just like a consular term. So as proconsul, Caesar gains direct personal control over four veteran legions that he had previously commanded in Spain. The 7th, the 8th, the 9th Hispana, and the 10th legions. 10th mounted, baby. Yep. And as I mentioned before, they all fucking love Caesar. Already. He's, they served under him in Spain. They're like, this dude fucking rules. Like, we'll definitely go help him do whatever he wants to do. So the Helvetii, they leave their lands. They're going to migrate south. They burn their farms, and they burn everything behind them, basically, so that they don't have a chance to turn back. They're, like, committed yeah. to migrating south, and they no longer have any, like, farms or anything to go home to. And there's encroaching Germanic tribes like the Swabi, who we'll talk about in a minute, who are moving into those lands. And as we've said, the Germans are fucking scary. We don't, we don't fuck with the Germans. The Gauls don't fuck with the Germans. And this is going to be a recurring theme throughout Roman history, which is... Scary tribes encroaching on their lands because of scarier tribes who are coming south or west onto their lands. And the Romans are suddenly, like, forced to contend with either this initial wave of people or worry about the wave of people behind them. You know what I mean? Or often both. So this is an early example of that. Um, so they're on the march, and Caesar is just, like, hoping that they invade so that he can spank them. Um, but they do something kind of unexpected. They reach the border of Transalpine Gaul, and... They stop, which sucks. <laughs> yep. Then Caesar receives a message. The Helvetii, they want permission from the governor to enter Transalpine Gaul and to settle peacefully. They're not invaders. They just need somewhere to live, and they're happy to settle there if they're allowed. And so Caesar sits, and he stalls, and he stalls, and he's hoping that they get frustrated and cross anyway, but they don't. And so finally he's like, no, you can't come in. And so he's like, all right, hopefully that goads them into fighting. But it doesn't. They're like, okay, well, we don't want to fight you, so I guess we'll just stay here and wait and whatever. And so the threat to Rome is now technically over. They're not looking to invade. Caesar knows this. But he's already been, like, running around feverishly behind the scenes. He's been gathering legions. He's been getting men together, hoping for this scrap. And he sees them ready to cross back over the river. I don't know how to say this. It's S-A-O with a little triangle over it, N-E. It's not the Seine River, because that's a different river in France. Was it it's Saun like the Saône. Saône. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I'm not French. But it's that river. They're crossing over. And Caesar's like, not on my watch. And so he fucking runs up on them while they're, like, trying to leave. Mm-hmm. And he fucking attacks them. Yeah, And in his own words, he doesn't talk about this in the book. Um, this is where it sort of starts in the book. He's like, I saw them gathering by the river and knew they were a serious threat, and so I had to engage. That's like as much as Caesar says about all of this stuff. Um, they're a threat to, quote, the province, a.k.a. Narbonensis. Apparently Long. it's Sown. Sown. The Sown River. Okay, yeah. there you go. Um, I guess it rhymes with the Rhone. The Sown, which isn't the, Rhone. the Rhine. The Sown isn't the Seine. Yeah, the Sown's not the Seine. The Rhone's yeah, not the same. Rhine. The Sone's yeah. not the Rhone. <laughs> They're all on their own. So, and, the, and the Sen's not the, the Rhine. Well, the Sen's definitely not the Rhine. Yeah. Nobody yeah. gets that confused. Um, <laughs> so he these, finds... Yeah, these, these, these Europeans got to come up with different names. For yeah, they really do. Uh, he finds the Helvetii in the Because then mid- there's, the, there's the Danube and the, Deep, and the Dnieper as well. Yeah. In Eastern Europe. Yeah. It's fucking like, come on, guys. I just want to give you a second if there's any more river stuff because I don't want to stifle you. No, I think that's all my rivers. All my river stuff for now. Okay, so Caesar finds the Helvetii in the midst of attempting to cross back over the river. And he attacks them in their disarray. So there's a skirmish. 
but his forces are not totally mobilized, so he's crossing the river in pursuit. So Caesar realizes that his uh, supply train hasn't arrived, so he's forced to kind of withdraw. He's pulling back. Mm-hmm. And during this period of time, the Helvetii are able to gain support from local allies, the Boii and the Tulungi tribes. And they circle back to revenge themselves on their attacker, who's in the middle of withdrawing back to the Roman side of the river. So this alliance of Helvetii, Tulungi, and Boii attack the Roman rearguard, and they instigate the Battle of Bibracte. I was, I, was, I was just about to make the worst joke. I'm not going to do it, but I just wanted you to know that I almost did. Okay. I won't make you do it. I mean, I encourage you to do it. But. <laughs> no, no, no. It's too bad. Sure. Just know that it's there. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, so at this point, Caesar is in command of six full legions. He gathered two more of them on his trip from Rome to the frontier. He's now mobilized the other four legions that he had been granted when he got his proconsulship. And he's also got numerous auxiliaries with him. You remember, auxiliaries are just anybody who's not a legionary. So it's usually cavalry, archers, um, light slingers, <clears throat> things like that, who are like not the valued like shock infantry troops that Romans think are like the true like men of the army. Romans mm-hmm. don't like all that other shit. They don't like archery. They don't I mean they use it, but it's not honorable to them. The real the real honor is in the front lines. So those are the legionaries. Yeah, they don't care about no caballeros. No, they don't want that shit. Um so this meant that he's in command of roughly 30 to 40,000 men. And these are just all fighting men. This is a professional army. Um, with baggage train and there's probably like, you know, some people following along, but like that's how many men he's got at his command. Yeah. But here's some, where uh, shit gets some, really... uh, some friends of the road, you might say. Yeah, maybe. There's some probably some uh, ladies hanging around who, you know, yeah. doing a little fucking, a little sucking, making some money. Yeah, yeah, fucking and sucking those legions. Yeah, man, with a bunch of dirty dudes who are just wearing the same clothes. Or whatever. But whatever. You, you got to do what yeah. you got to do. Make a buck. Hey, man, it's know. the ancient world. You're not going to get it. not shaming anybody. It's the oldest yeah. profession for a reason, dog. I mean, that's a good way to make a buck. Yeah. So, um... Here's where things get kind of fucky, though, because Caesar claims that the Helvetii at this point, this entire contingency of, like, I mean, keep in mind that, and even he acknowledges that they've, like, uprooted their entire family. So this is, like, a culture group on the move. This isn't an army in the sense that, like, he's got. This is, like, the Helvetii confederacy in their totality. They number at a staggering 368,000 individuals, according to Caesar, of whom 90,000 were dedicated warriors. This is an absolutely ludicrous fucking figure. Uh, yeah. Even for a migrating tribal confederacy at this period, um, he's clearly just trying to paint himself as being like immediately up against insurmountable odds and then triumphing over them. Um, during the battle, so during the battle, the Helvetii attack first, uh, likely in a feint maneuver to draw the Romans out, as the Romans at this point have stationed themselves on a large hill. They've got the high ground, and they have a master baggage train on top of the hill where it's easy to defend and they can see in all directions. So the Romans repel this first attack, and they're about to pursue when the Boii and the Tulungi, these allies, show up with another 15,000 men, and they attack their flank. So now they're pressed on two sides. The, Roma, the Romans first press and rout the main Helvetii force. Then they turn and rout the Boii mm. and Tulungi. And they chase them back to their nearby encampments where they slaughter uh, both groups, where they slaughter their men, their women, their children, everything. Um, that's the first battle of the Gallic Wars. And it's undoubtedly, regardless of whose numbers you listen to, it's undoubtedly a resounding Roman victory. And if you believe Caesar, it's against a force that's like three times as large as his, just in fighting men. Also hysterically, Caesar makes the claim that his men killed 238,000 of the 338,000 people that they were up against. Mm. Um, makes the absolutely, uh, it makes absolutely zero mention of a single casualty on his, on his side. 
which sort of implies if you're used to reading this stuff that there were zero casualties um which he talks about later like just going into these large engagements and losing nobody um normally he would mention a figure even if it was like seriously deflated after the battle, the Helvetii approach Caesar's camp, according to Caesar, and they congratulate him on his stunning victory. And they acknowledge that they kind of deserved it. Uh, they knew that their ancestors had We committed. deserve to just get genocided right here. Yeah, it was cool and good that you fucking killed all of us and our wives and shit. Um, now for the, the you know, one third of us that are left, can we please stay here? Yeah, can we be your friends now? Um, huh? They apparently had killed his father-in-law's grandfather. His father-in-law was a man named Lucius Piso. And his yep. grandfather was a man named Lucius Piso. Uh, it's some real Roman shit right there. Uh, um, so, I come from a long line of Lucius Pisos. <laughs> yeah, for his... For his Lucius their, Piso. For their trans... <laughs> the Lucius Piso. Yeah, Lucii Piso. Oh, my God. So for their trans- transgressions against Caesar's family and his father-in-law. Uh, and I mean, what is a family without the relationship between yeah. son-in-law? And yeah, what, what? Yeah, what is what kind of familial bond is stronger than that between a a a young man and his father-in-law? Absolutely. Um, so they they really had got what they were coming what what they had coming to them. They they killed this guy apparently. So, um, <laughs> but can you imagine? So like, they they all needed to die. They all needed to die. Can you imagine like slaughtering an entire people and then having them congratulate you and be like, yeah, we deserved it. You're we killed so your cool. father-in-law. Your dick is so big. You're so cool. Like, thank you for that, Dad. Yeah. Um, modern estimates paint a clearer picture. So it is likely that rather than 368,000 people and 90,000 warriors, the entire Helvetii Confederacy, men, women, children, warriors, and all, numbered approximately 20,000 people, of which 12,000 were warriors. Um, they likely suffered between 10 and 12,000 casualties in the conflict. So instead of being up against insurmountable odds, Caesar was basically like waltzing in and just fucking crushing a relatively weak and demoralized refugee population with no home to return yeah. to. They're all just like, ah, oh, hello, Mr. Caesar. Yes, yeah. very nice. Can dude. we please come uh, live are, here? And he's like, we are perfect. <laughs> like, yeah, he's just... And he, yeah, so he just, like, goes lips. over and fucking trounces I'm sorry, them. we did not mean to cause offense. We will go back over the, uh, how do you say, Son River. Yeah. And uh, we will uh, enjoy these nice pastoral lands. Not so fast, miscreants. <laughs> You're about as, to get Republicanized. Like, flaming, like, cannonball. Just yeah. Towering through and just melt them. <laughs> fucking just wrecks their shit. So, I mean, they had no no home to return to, no future to hope for, fighting entirely out of just, like, bewildered desperation and, like, a last-ditched will to live. And Caesar's, like, not on my watch. Like Caesar's fucking... just gnawing on, like, a fucking Helvetii calf, just yeah, dude. ripping the meat out. Horrible. So, anyway, yay Rome. Like, Senate and people, baby. Yeah. Um, so, the battle itself would be named after the nearby settlement of Bribacte, which is the main commercial center of the region held by the Aedui tribe, who are going to come up in a second. Um, the city will also return later because uh, a special certain Gallic leader is going to visit there. Um, but Caesar had had a, a taste of crushing victory, and he wanted more. His men were now blooded. They had a thirst for plunder and glory. And Caesar is a populare. He's nothing if not a people pleaser. And so he begins eyeing the nearby Suebi, who are a Germanic tribe, under the leader of one Ariovistus, as another opportunity for conquest. So the Suebi held sway over a region on the Gaul-Germania border near modern Alsace. I just want to I just want to give a little uh, give it up for the Suebi. They would be uh, one of the people that would end up settling in modern day Portugal. Oh, cool! After the fall of uh, after the fall of the Western Empire, once the migration started, the Suebi were uh, 
Uh, you had uh, uh, <clears throat> the uh, Visigoths in uh, Spain mm-hmm. proper, and then the Swabian in Portugal. That's pretty swag. Yeah. Cool. Hopefully they were the same Swaby because the Romans also loved like reusing names and shit. Might not yeah. have even been the same people. Yeah, yeah. Might have been the totally different people. Yeah. That I mean, well, by that the long same later, area. they definitely like were whether they called themselves the same yeah. thing or not. Like they definitely yeah, just yeah. weren't the same. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so they're like in modern Alsace, uh, yeah. and in 59 BCE, the previous year, their king uh, Ariovistus had been declared a friend of Rome. Um, because he is leading one of the large groups that's coming in that's kind of displacing groups like the Helvetii. They're Germans, they're scary, and they're coming in and they're like, no, we're, we're living here now. And so they're driving the Gauls further south. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the Senate obviously just didn't want to like attract his attention and have him move into like their Gallic provinces. So they're like, you're our friend! Ah. Mm-hmm. So now Caesar has just subjugated the Helvetii Confederacy and their allies, and Ariovistus' Suebi are you know part of the reason that they're there in the first place. Uh, so Caesar sees another opportunity to kill two birds with one stone. He's going to crush the Swaby. Let's get two burned stones at once. Yep. He's going to crush the Swaby. He's going to get more plunder and territory. And then he'll settle the Helvetii and their allies there as a subjugated people paying tribute. It's honestly a pretty tight plan, except that the Senate liked Ariovistus. So Caesar had to wait for a reason. And in 58, he got it with word that Ariovistus and his allied Swaby clans were encroaching onto Adui territory, newly acquired by Rome. So the Adui are one of these tribes that Caesar has just subjugated. And like now they have to protect them because they're paying tribute. Mm-hmm. So Ariovistus reaches out and he's like, hey, uh, I respect you and shit. But also, like, can we not pretend that you and I aren't doing the exact same thing right now? So, like, why don't you just, like, fuck off? You can conquer Partigal. I'll conquer Partigal. Why can't we just, like, be buddies? But Caesar did not want to fuck Cassus off. Belly. There it is. Caesar <laughs> did not want to fuck off. Caesar wanted to fuck on. Yeah. So he marches he wanted to fuck on t- some Swaby. Yeah, Caesar reads that. And he's like, there it is. Cassus Belly. Fucking got yeah. it. Fucking got, got it, dog. We got it, dude. Oh, Bang. dude, you're about to get so fucking Cassus Belly, dog. Yeah, dude. And so he marches into Swaby territory. And they have the, they try to parlay, which is tense. Uh, apparently, the Swaby, like, they march up. And according to Caesar, they're really rude. And they're, like, taunting him. And they start throwing stuff at him. And so both sides are like, fuck it. War is the only answer. So in the Battle of Volsgis on September 14th BCE, 14th, mm-hmm. uh, 58 BCE. <laughs> I just wrote September 14th BCE. September 14th, yeah. Caesar's six legions and auxiliaries, so remember, this is north of 30,000 men, met Ariovistus's fucking 120,000 men. Remember, yeah. Caesar's a liar. The modern estimate is 15,000. Uh, so again, vastly outnumbered. At least two to one. Caesar loves two to one odds. Like, he does not like to enter battles. It's good odds to have. He likes to be way over-equipped, really well-supplied, and have at least two legionaries for every Gaul he fights. Like, and you'll see throughout the Gallic Wars, that's like, he aims for that pretty much every time. And then yeah. he lies about it, and it's like, they had ten times more than me, and I fucking... It's like, nah, dog, you're fighting, you're... Mm. He likes a sure thing. Caesar likes a sure thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so he goes in... Uh, and after one of Crassus's sons, Marcus Licinius Crassus, rich guy, part of the triumvirate, his, his son Publius is serving under uh, uh, Caesar right now, and he leads like a dope cavalry charge, and he breaks the enemy ranks. Caesar's legions move in, and they fucking slaughter the Swaby. Like, it's a fucking bloodbath. Um, and according to him, nearly to a man. So he says he killed like 80,000 people, but he probably killed, you know, like 10,000 people. Um, and again, no mention of his own losses. Uh... The Suebi retreat across the Rhine, which is, again, the traditional boundary between Germania and Gaul, and would never again actively campaign against the Romans. Um, 
The newly conquered Gallic allies would settle peacefully and pay tribute and supply auxiliaries, and so everybody's happy. Tell them niggas fix up, like. Uh, why would I hesitate? I'm on. Talk money, I'll speak it fluent. This footy gon' wake the neighbors. This footy gon' rip through layers. Why would I hesitate? I'm on oot that. Toe knocks, but you never use that. Talk money, I'll speak it fluent. Big packs, yeah, I get the blue racks. This footy gon' wake the neighbors. Get hooked down with that laser. This footy gon' rip through layers. Get hooked down, we gon' chase them. Get that money, I knew how to stretch it. They was pine, I knew it was destined. Cut me out, I'ma show them a lesson. 20 moment, I flight to one. Two, the way I drip in this bitch, better grip your bitch, cause I might get a bonnet. She know I'm rich and lit, you can have that bitch right back when I'm done. Look, I got the cannon on him, I tell him to shoot if he see something. It get hot, gotta relocate, baby, tuck the knocks when the D's come Switch states for a week run, then I'm back for a rerun She love me, but I'm in love with the money, she'll never be one Tell these niggas that they gotta fix up, if you don't gotta chop it to get one She let me hit it cause I got my chips up, too much barbers don't know how to pick one Lil mama, what's up, you a thick one, come fuck with the woozy, the rich ones Why would I hesitate, I'ma squeeze that trick to the clip done Why would I hesitate, I'ma oot that, toe knocks, but you never use that Talk money, I speak it fluent, big packs, yeah, I get the blue racks This footy gon' wake the neighbors Get hooked down with that laser This footy gon' rip through layers Get hooked down, we gon' chase them Why would I hesitate? I'ma oot that Toe knocks, but you never use that Talk money, I speak it fluent Big packs, yeah, I get the blue racks This footy gon' wake the neighbors Get hooked down with that laser This footy gon' rip through layers Get hooked down, we gon' chase them So the invasion of Gaul is going to progress basically identically to this for the first couple of years of the campaign. Um, and he's basically just like marching in and fucking mopping up, just cleaning house, like absolutely decimating. Just marking some yeah. fucking and barbarians. And it's because he's realized that the, the key to victory in Gaul is the fact that this, there's not a unified Gaul. Gaul is a Roman idea. These are just different people with different groups, different political constructs. You just picking off small groups of people. Yeah, and they, they they aren't allied to each other. They fight each other as much as they fight anybody and to else. To be fair, he's putting these fucking putting these bitches down into the fucking end zone, dude. Oh my god, he's yeah, he and he's, yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's mopping up. He's he's literally they call it that like in yeah. articles and shit. <laughs> like he's this is the period where Caesar was just mopping up Gaul. Like yeah. he's literally just wrecking shit. Yeah. And so he would conquer one tribe or a tribal confederacy. They would agree to terms. And then usually as like a result of those terms, he would find a pretext to march north or west or east and invade another group and just keep going from there on out. Yeah. So usually it would be something like, well, now that you know we're under your protection, you Why owe us these... your protection, and this tribe is harassing us. And so Caesar would be like, well, we can't have that. I, I can't stand anyone harassing my little Gallic subjects. Yeah. Who, like a month ago, he was just Why, why won't these Gauls stop running into my gladii? <laughs> yeah. God, <laughs> they just need me to come in and protect them from yeah. me. Um, so his army is extremely well supplied, extremely well disciplined, and they're just winning. They're just fucking winning nonstop. He's on a steamroll through Gaul. Um, and he's, of course, always careful to paint each victory as like a stunning triumph against overwhelming odds, savage enemies, uh, trying to encroach upon his newly won peace amongst their neighbors. Um, but this is a methodical and brutal conquest, and Caesar's not an idiot. Like, despite his flaws, as we said, like he knows what he's doing. He's he's doing it right. If you if what you want to do is like subjugate an entire group of people, he's doing it completely right. Mm -hmm. um, and he was by all accounts like a fabulous commander. 
not everybody could have pulled this off as easily as he did. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm talking about the fact that, like, he's running in and, like, running amok. But also, this is Julius Caesar, like, one of the greatest yeah. generals of all time. Lesser men would have failed or slipped up or whatever. He's doing it perfectly. So even though what yeah, he's doing Crassus is, like, couldn't do this. No. Even though what he's doing is, like, sketchy and fucked up and bad, he's doing the shit out of it. Like, and he's doing, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. He's doing it, like, everything right to, to achieve his goal. And honestly, his men fucking love him for it. They're they're getting plunder. They're getting slaves to sell back home, and they're just they, they're getting easy wins. Everybody likes an easy win, and they're gonna go home yeah. and be fucking heroes. Yeah, they're just racking up dubs, dude. Yeah, dude. Everybody's gonna want to fuck them. Like their record <laughs> yeah. is stellar right now, and and Caesar's gonna take them to the best season they've ever fucking had. Um, so he would march through the territory of the Belgi or the Belgi. Guess where the fuck that is. Belgium in 57 BCE he crushes them yes. he heads east to tackle the Nervii so damn <laughs> he heads east to tackle the Nervii and then north in 56 to fight the powerful Veneti Confederacy um, and they all defend their lands vigorously but like they're losing they're all, they all yeah. lose and Caesar's doing pretty fucking good um, and he'd figure it out that they're not going to unite they're just these tribes are are not going to unite against them that's the one thing because there are so many Gauls that if they were a unified political force, this invasion would be hysterically bad. He's only got he's got six legions. That's not that many men. The Roman army was never that big. They mm-hmm. were just disciplined and really good at killing. But you know, that's why they never succeeded in Germany. The Germans learn from this later. They're like, we got to unite. If Rome invades, we got to unite. Mm-hmm. And ev- every time that fucking works. And uh, the Gauls just don't do it in time. So. Um, the the Gaul, but they are starting to think like as he's like halfway done with the job. Certain Gallic elements are like, we gotta we gotta maybe think about like a, an, an alliance here because this dude's this dude's fucking winning really mm-hmm. fast. Yeah. yeah. Um. <clears throat> so before long, in fifty five BCE, Caesar's on the shores of the English Channel, and he has his gaze set on the distant Isle of Britannia, mm-hmm. um, which is long allied to the Gallic tribes of the northwest coast. They send them men, they send them supplies, and he's like, well, we can't have that. We have to absolutely deal with these you know, uh, incursions into our territory. Really what it is is like, no one's ever been there. I'm going to fuck it. This is all so easy. I'm just, just going to go over there. Just the blue dick swaying over yeah. the cliffs of Dover. Or He's like, I'm going to go conquer called. these fucking weirdos too because apparently <laughs> I'm just like destined to conquer everyone. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> meanwhile, as I said, various leaders of the remaining free parts of Gaul, as well as some of those newly subjugated who are like, believe it or not, not actually loving being under Roman control. Um, are, are starting to talk. They're sending messages back and forth. Something's got to be done. We got to set away all our set aside all of our old grudges, um, and we have to unite under one banner to repel the Romans once and for all. Otherwise, we're going to be enslaved forever. So warriors and nobles began assembling their men. Uh, plans and alliances are secretly drawn up. Uh, Caesar would not return from Britannia to a cowering, weak assemblage of divided tribes. Instead, he was about to encounter a totally different type of warfare. The second half of the Gallic Wars are going to be very different from the first half. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might actually prove to be more than Caesar can handle because he's not, like, you know, (laughs) crushing people fucking two to one, three to one. Yeah. Um, Things are about to get pretty real. And there are plenty of strong and influential young Gallic warriors who are waiting to give him a taste of his own medicine. Among them is a man who will definitely go down in history as the most famous Gaul of all time. The young king of the Arverni tribe, a man known to the Romans as Vercingetorix, or to the French as Vercingetorix. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the fucking man, and he's, he's, I don't know why, but in my head he's, he looks like Liam Neeson and Rob Roy. And... Uh, He's okay. he's he's getting ready. So mm. that concludes our massively long part mm. two. Um, 
and we're gearing up for uh, part three where we'll discuss the conquest of Britannia. Spoiler alert, Caesar's going to do okay over there. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah. And then uh, the voyage home. The actual, like, knockdown, drag-out fight with, like, the remaining Gallic tribes who, like, actually get their shit together and stand up against Caesar and, like, give him a run for his money. And then, uh, but, you know, it's not called Little Vercingetorix Pizza, you know? So who knows who's yeah. going to win. Um, yeah, if you want to get a nice Detroit-style pie, an authentic Detroit pie, you go to Little Caesars. Yeah. Not Little Vercingetorix's. Yeah, not Little Wirkingetorix. Um, so, yeah, so that's it. Thank you guys for, for bearing with me. I know it took a long time to get this one out, and that was a big one. That's a lot to digest. Uh, but yeah, this is a really fun topic and I'm excited to be back in it and we'll be back. Mm -hmm. Like I said, literally next week, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to do part, part three and, um, yeah, we'll go from there. Nice. Yeah. Um, was there anything you wanted to add? Anything you wanted to talk about? Fucking long ass episode. So no, um, (laughs) it was like a 19, Uh, 19 page document. So yeah. Um, yeah. So cool. Anyway, uh, yeah, keep reaching out to us about, um, you know, what you would like to see us do. Um, obviously, it looks like people want more episodes, which I understand. Uh, so we will do more episodes, some of them yeah. easier. Um, but yeah, no, we've got some stuff coming down the pipe uh, pipeline, so that should be good. Uh, we can't wait for you guys to hear. Keep telling other people about us. Keep spreading that word. Um, we keep, like it when the word of those us cheeks. is spread. Yeah, spread, spread the cheeks. Yep. <clears throat> and uh yeah so thanks for listening <laughs> show us what you got down there spread those oh. cheeks yes after, i mean you after. can send us butthole pics but i like i don't really want them so don't just send like them to cam's dms no, no send them send them to the, the podcast email i don't want butthole pics um send them so. to the po- send us all your butthole pics to the podcast email and evan will personally vet and rate them all <laughs> on his patented butthole scale every month we'll uh we'll talk about the best buttholes that'll be one episode yep. every month yeah yeah, this is honestly, frankly, at this point, this is serious. Send us one. <laughs> I would love to get at least one butthole pick. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> All right, cool. At least one. Just one. Honestly, if we got one out of this, then I would consider this entire <laughs> endeavor worthwhile. Yeah, two years of podcasting worth it. Yeah. For Evan, Evan got pick. recognized once in public, and I want to yeah. get one butthole pick. <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> yeah. that's how I'll know I've made it. <laughs> yep, true, true, true. All right, well, yeah. thanks for thanks for sitting through this one, guys. I know it was long. I hope it was interesting. Um, and next week there'll be there'll be more, and we will see you then. Peace. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, how about to ride with that big bitch and get the trippin'? Police push up on he had to blitz it out the window. Get a nigga drop, fat, we wipe the witness. Four Giados matched the big, he threw my belly right on sixes. Huh. Had a turn around, I bust my rollie, get new jury. My nigga caught a case, they snatched the bond, he missed his hearing. If the feds been in the hood for like two weeks, shit getting serious. 40 cal, I keep it near me, pop that pussy nigga cherry. Huh. Ain't no in between, you either solid or you fakin'. Hunted on my niggas, I have stones and match the brace. Jump out 75 right off the road, fuck up the day shit. Ain't got time to hug and kiss, gonna suck my dick, oh, I'm impatient. I'm a lean, sippin' nigga. Mirrors on my son. Motivate the trenches, turn the center to a nun. Fetty take a two, can get a break for 21. Hit the crib, we threw the gun, stuff the blender by the tub, yeah. Hang around with niggas, catching cases, hit the stand. Like, how you look yourself up in the mirror as a man? My hoes, you told me young and stack it up and keep a plan. Let them infiltrate you, hate around the rack, go hand in hand. Keep that glizzy on me tight, skizzy for the white. 
Have these niggas pussy with a dick, so you a dyke. I got Dior's every color. Bitch, we ain't doing mics. Hundred thousand on that nigga, kill my baby, it's on sight. Yeah, fuck them other niggas. We be in them trenches. I put 24s on my new Rafe and need suspension. Yeah, fifty thousand dollars on the penny, this bitch glistening. Up the F and N right on Elijah, hit your engine. I nigga never gave you shit, feel like you own. Got so many snakes up in my line, I need to mow it. How the fuck a bitch that slimed you out and fucked your homies? Gave your name up to the feds, better watch out, these bitches bogus. I'm a pill popping animal, kill tech toter. 30 in my glizzy, hit your brain, leave your shit open. Calculate my steps and all my moves, yeah, I've been focused. Made five million off this music for this rap between social, bitch. Hmm.